rebellion built on podcasting. Yes, instead of hope. Yes. Yes, indeed. Hello, everybody. My name is Griffin Newman. I'm David Sims. This is a podcast called Blank Check with Griffin and David. We are hashtag the two friends. And this is a podcast where we look at filmographies of directors who have massive success early on and then are given a series of blank checks to make whatever they want. That's what this podcast is about now. It's about how sometimes those checks clear and sometimes they bounce baby. But yeah. this podcast, a yeah. long time ago... We should have called this podcast a Griffin and David present a rogue podcast just to, just to be old school about it. We can it. still do that if we want. You know, it, let's, let's more just... We're just shouting that out, just yeah. for the for the diehard. A long time ago, mm-hmm. in a podcasting network far, far away, mm-hmm. this podcast used to be called Griffin David Present. Yeah, what and a it, scintillating title it was, and it was it, it was great. To think we almost kept that title. Yeah, remember <laughs> people were angry when yeah. we said we were going to blank check, idiot. Yeah, and they're going to be angry again when we change our name in the new year to Planet Money. <laughs> <laughs> but we want that money. We want that money from that's, Planet Pizza. That's. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this, uh, podcast used to be about, uh, the, the Star Wars movies. Exclusively. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Yes. 100%. Um, and we- well, Except for judging the judge. <laughs> except for judging the judge. <laughs> yeah. And we, uh, have promised, uh, on this show mm-hmm. that whenever a, a previous subject- Yeah, pops back up. We, we gotta cover it. Mm-hmm. We gotta jump back into the pool. And, um, this is exciting because all the Star Wars stuff was, con- was, uh, contained within one year for us. That's right. 2015. 2015 is our year of Star Wars. That's right. And now uh, this is the... And 2016 was the year of not Star Wars. Right. But now a new Star Wars picture in theaters just in time for Christmas. Yeah. The present under the tree as it will be every year from here on out. Most likely. Right? Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, I don't know. They're still saying Han Solo is coming out in the summer. We'll see. Are they really? Yes. May. They they have it chalked in for May 2018. Yeah. Maybe there'll be two Star Wars movies that year? Oh, that'd, that'd be crazy. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this, this I guess, podcast is us going to be uh, us wrestling with... The, the biggest ag- sci-fi movie of the year. Yes. Passengers. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, here's one good thing. We've been recording so far in advance that we can also talk about some other some movies current that movie came, stuff. Well, me, me and Griffin saw the number one hottest, number one sci-fi, number one, number one sci-fi movie, number one sci-fi. Passengers. I just want to say it over and over again. Movie of the year, Passengers together. Yeah. And then the next day we also we take we took a gander a rogue one we together. We took a yeah. gander together. And and yeah. But I was gonna say this is us. I mean, you know This is us, NBC's hit new series. Hey, congrats, <laughs> Chrissy Metz on your Golden Globe nomination. See, <laughs> we can do all these topical jokes. Uh, uh, people love them. People yeah. love SAG nomination. Topical jokes. jokes, like just acknowledging that Chrissy Metz <laughs> got a Golden Globe nomination. Um it's very cold outside. My brain is frozen. Mm-hmm. Um but uh no, what I was gonna say was when we were uh, tackling Star Wars on this podcast, it was a very finite thing. Uh-huh. Right? Star Wars existed within these very strict confines. Right. The chapters, the extended universe shit was its own corner. Oh, sure. You know? It, right. And then even, like, the supplemental material that was considered canon at that point was, like, a small selection of books, cartoon shows, what have you. Understood. Right? Yeah. And this is the first time that we're, like, getting main canon Star Wars movies that aren't within, you know, that... that The episodes. The episodes, yep. which is how we've defined what real Star Wars is. You know? I mean, of course, there always will be Star Wars, the Clone Wars, the movie, to, right. to fuck with that. Yes. But essentially, you are correct. Right, and yes. I think this is, like, an interesting turning point 
because now like Star Wars has become a much broader thing. The walls have been broken down. Yes. And this movie I think is primarily concerned with doing that. Yeah, it, well, it's sort of like it's like you say, like you have like the sort of the shelf of books and someone's got this new book and they're trying to kind of wedge yeah. it in, but the shelf is already kind of tight, so you're sort of like yeah. and you're kind of maybe going to break the shelf. Right, that's what it's like. Right. But but they're trying to like I guess maybe convince us to buy new shelves. Yeah, well, it's a, once it's in there, you're like it's there. See? Right. It's always been there. But then I think Kathleen Kennedy's main goal is to be like, but buy some new shelves because you're going to need to put a lot more books yes, here. Yes, that and to stop any woman from right. ever making a Star Wars movie. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Kathleen. Within this metaphor, I would say almost we've had a very tight shelf of what was Star Wars. Yeah. Now we fit this one it's book in. shelf metaphor. Let's really go for I it. I like it, right? George Lucas built a mahogany <laughs> shelf. <laughs> uh, we fit this one book in. Yeah. And then... Um, She's like, but they're going to be more. You should probably buy new shelves. You know, it's so kinda, now it's like, here's my shelf for the episodes. Here's my shelf for the other Star Wars stuff. It's kind of like how you have your DVDs arranged and then you get a new DVD and the new DVD is like a weird yes. shape. Yes. Maybe it's got like a, a border or like, I don't know, there's something wrong with it. Right. And you're like, let me buy a new shelf for DVDs with weird packaging <laughs> shapes. All right. All so my main done. DVDs, we're done. Great. Uh, the movie we're talking about here is Rogue One. Passengers. Uh, it is uh, the first, and I guess what Disney hopes will be a franchise of rogue movies. Uh, <laughs> it is, uh, to its credit, decisively not. Which I give that movie huge credit, a lot of credit for yeah. that. It's not like that. Yeah. Well, oh, by the way, uh, spoilers. Oh yeah. If you haven't seen Rogue One. Yeah, I mean we're recording this on the day the movie comes out, and yeah, our uh, listeners this will post we assume the weekend after it's come out. We assume a lot of you probably you're blanky. Run. You're seeing Rogue One. Most likely, weekend. if you yeah. can't for whatever reason, don't you know? Listen, we're going to talk about what okay. happens in Rogue. One. Uh, everyone dies at the end of the movie. Okay, so let's talk about not Darth Vader. He's fine. Darth Vader's alive. Yeah. Let's talk about Rogue One. Um, and to join us in talking about Rogue One. Mm-hmm. Is Rogue One's uh, biggest fan. Yeah, confirmed. I mean, really loved it. <laughs> really, really loved it. It's a good movie. Uh, Producer Ben, aka the Ben Deucer, aka the Poet Laureate, aka the Tiebreaker, aka the Fuckmaster, aka Birthday Benny, aka our finest film critic, aka the Peeper, aka uh, the Fart Detective, aka uh, Dirt Bike Benny. Uh, thank you for being here. Meeting a warhead. Thank you for producing the podcast. Um, yeah. Ooh, it's sour. It's sour. Uh, I know that's the idea. But. We'd love to quickly acknowledge that you've graduated to certain titles over the course of different miniseries, such as Kylo Ben, Producer yeah. Ben Kenobi, Ben Say, Ben Night Shyamalan, yeah. Save Anything, and Ailey Ben's with a dollar sign for the S. Yes. Of course. You loved Rogue One. We, the three of us saw it together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had already seen it, not to brag. Uh, I'm bragging. Uh, yeah, I'm bragging. We saw it at the Alamo Draft House. Uh, ben and I uh, dined in on delicious flatbreads, sat together. I got some sliders, personally. You got some sliders. Um, uh, Joanna, your girlfriend was there with us as well. Yeah, she got um some sort of a bean dish, beans and potatoes. Interesting. It was on the special Star Wars menu. She said that it was bad. Oh, interesting. My sliders were okay, and you got the special Star Wars sliders too. They were they were like tropical themed, but they were trying to go off the. Uh, it was going all beachy. What's the planet called? Scarif. Scarif. Yeah, I got a meat lovers pizza. You got the M train, baby. Hell yeah. Would you call yourself a meat lover? Yeah. I Should would. We call Ben the Meat Lover from now on. Yeah, let's call him the Meat Lover. <laughs> what if we replaced all the previous nicknames and just called him the Meat Lover? In 2017, it's like, and there's producer Ben, aka the Meat Lover. 
Maybe we, we should do that. Don't say anything else. <laughs> that might be funny. That might be. We're funny. too far ahead with all the other episodes. Oh, that's true. Then oh, we fuck. We've ruined our bit. You're like, foiled. Like, what here, if we invent a time machine and we just intervene in the recording of every episode? Oh no! I thought you were gonna ask that I just insert the meat lover into all the stuff we've recorded already. Okay, it would be pretty funny if you did that because it, it would. would be, it'd be like, and now it's time for producer Ben, aka, and then like meat a slight lover. pause, and we're like, <laughs> meat lover, <laughs> like in unison. Okay, wait, Ben, can we get, can we quickly, David, you and I, let's say Meat Lover in unison, and Ben, drop it into at least one episode. The All Meat right. Lover. All right, I okay. will do that. Ready? One, two, three. The, the meat, meat Lover! That's good. Um, Ooh, actually, could I, could we just do it one more time? Yeah, we're a little hot on that one? Yeah, a little hot. Okay. Griffin, just back off just okay, slightly. Sure <clears throat> I'm backing All right. away. <clears throat> All right, all right, here we go. Three, two, one. The, the meat, meat lover. lover. <laughs> I was very muted. It's great. It's okay, really, they're really good. Um, well, our Turok episode, which came out pretty recently, but we shot, uh, recorded at September 11th. Don't forget. <laughs> um, but there was the bit about Ben sniffing out the fart, mm-hmm. and then yeah. called him the fart detective. And then people on like Reddit and Twitter were like, "Please make that a permanent nickname." But it was like, well, we recorded that in September. I right. forgot we made that joke. Sure. Then four months passed. You've included it in a couple episodes since then. Yeah. But there's like a whole run of like the first five Spielberg episodes. I don't call them that because I forgot that we had come up with that. Guys, look, this is for you to piece together, and we're leaving you in a, in a fractured timeline to, mm-hmm. to put, you know, to knit into a tapestry. Yeah, so but, get out your red yarn and your index cards and, you know, start tracing it. Not, exactly. Not this episode. This episode is recorded in the present. People are going to hear it primarily. In the week it was released, so this is like the old days to speak. It's like the old days when we would just arrive here and we'd be like, "The fuck are we going to talk about this week? We have to have an episode." And then How about the politics of yeah. Star Wars Episode Two? Yeah, never forget that mistake. Um, okay, so let's talk about Rogue One. Uh, you had seen it before. Ben and I had not. I started the press screening. I got in this year. Yeah, because of my extreme celebrity and congratulations. And uh, the press screening was pretty wild. It was fun. Okay. Uh, Colin Jost was there, and I made eye contact with him, and I felt really bad because I'm, I'm mean about him online sometimes. Uh, how is he looking in person? He looks. I mean, I've I've seen Colin Jost in person several times. He looks exactly the same as he does on TV. Like he's he's kind of got that kind of can of hairspray, like old school newspaper guy, uh, newspaper anchor. News anchor, newspaper anchor. Yeah, you know he looks like you know he looks a little fakey almost, like he's you know kind of blandly handsome. Two points. Uh, I want to make one newspaper anchor is when paper boys would throw the newspaper would attach a weight to it so it would land on your doorstep. Newspaper anchor. That's a okay, real thing. Okay, fine, but that would mean that he looked like an inanimate object, right? Like some sort of a brick. Uh, two. I saw him on the subway recently, and his hair looked weirdly flat, which is why I asked. Mm, well, I mean, maybe he'd made an effort for the premiere. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, number three, newspaper anchor is not a real thing. I made that up. Ah, oh, shit. You're right. Um, uh, So, Ben loved the movie. Yeah. I mean, I don't understand what's not to love. We, ben, you and I have seen a handful of movies together at this point in theaters, but also have watched a lot of movies together and talked about them just over the course of this podcast. Sure, but it's only occasionally that you will watch it I'm sitting it next to person. Ben in a theater. Right, 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 right. I've certainly never seen Ben react like something, like mm. like this. I was sitting, Joanna was in between me and Ben. Yeah. But I even, even I, from that vantage point, saw Ben kind of pumping his fist and kind of leading forward and going like, yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, and you were like gasping a lot, Ben. There were a lot of moments where you were like, oh. Now, I want to say, what I wanted to say was my press screening that was, was very vocal, very sure. loud, cheering a lot. 
uh, big reactions. Right. And the Alamo screening, possibly because the Alamo is very, you know, kind of militant about no the, talking. Hey, no talking, no right. texting, like shh. Yeah. Um, was very quiet. Very quiet screening. It's deadly silent. I mean, very yeah. few jokes even got lost. And there were still some people with like lightsabers and wearing, you know, Jedi robes. Yeah, there and- was someone in full Ray, uh, Ray cosplay. Mm-hmm. Oh, we need to talk about this. Before the movie started, they did like a contest for Rogue One giveaways. They did. And they were like, my we friend need- Mike Sampson, my online friend Mike Sampson. Right. And they yeah. were like, uh, does someone want to come up and embarrass right themselves in front of their friends? And my hands shot up like a oh, rocket. Oh, God, you were. Because if I mean, what am I you known were like for? Like a kindergartner had to pee. If not like, wanting to embarrass myself in front of my friends, right? And we were like all the way in the back, second to last row, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. not a super huge screen. No, it's the biggest screen they've got, but you know, second to last row. And he like picked two people. Okay, you with the lightsaber. Okay, easy pick. Gimme. Then he picked a woman in the first three rows, and I was like, okay. And then he's like, what about someone from the back? I always feel bad for the back because they never get picked. And I'm like, this is my moment. This is my moment. This is my moment. And then he picked someone from dead in the middle. Yeah. This middling asshole. And he won, I believe. And he won. He was good. He was pretty good. But then they said, like, I was like, God damn it. And he gets up and he's like, okay, here's the contest. Each of you has a Star Wars quote. You have to read the Star Wars quote and perform it the best. And I was like, Jesus Christ, what a fucking won this thing. Yeah. And then it ended up just being like, they got like a poster and the grand prize winner got like a t-shirt that just had the logo on it. What did you think they were going to get? Like dinner with... Mads Mickelson, like what yeah. we yeah, I <laughs> dinner they were with Mads. Get dinner with Mads. I am making a movie next year called My Dinner with Mads. <laughs> you should uh, you should tell the listeners what you would have done if you had been picked. So so I said to Ben because he was like handing them each the cards. He had like random cards and they picked. They didn't know what they were going to get. And I said like Jesus Christ, if one of them gets Watto, I'm going to go fucking ballistic in this theater. <laughs> it would have been a little weird if one of the three quotes was Watto. Well, and then it was like the three most obvious quotes. It was three very obvious. It was quotes. Darth Vader saying no at the end of Sith. Yeah. It was uh, a fucking uh, scruffy Akbar, nerf herder. It's a trap. And it's a trap. And, and it's nerf herder. Right which right. I would have killed. It's a trap. Sure. You want to go ahead? It's a trap. <laughs> that was something. All right. It's a trap. All right. Okay. So we're the podcast is over. The podcast is done. And that's it. Yeah. But then they each did their thing, and I turned to Ben and I went, you know what? If I had gotten picked, I would have just done water regardless of what card they gave. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so then the movie starts. Then the movie starts. And then it finishes. I just want to talk about our responses first, then we'll go through the plot of the film. (laughs) Ben, And in between, nothing happened except that we were served food and drinks. Right. And the movie was playing. But deadly silent. Yeah, it was a pretty quiet audience. Ben was Some really claps at the end. Visibly but, you know. into it. Claps at the end. People like the ending a lot. Because the ending's really good. Yeah. I felt very whelmed by the movie. Yeah, he was pretty whelmed, guys. I was actually a little surprised. I was just kind of like, that's fine. So I had already seen the movie yeah. and liked it a lot, but the first time you see these things, I felt the same way with episode seven. You know, you're just kind of, you know, trying to take everything in. You're trying to pay attention. You know, you're trying to... You're, Trying to like sort of temper your enthusiasm in a weird sort of way because you're like I don't know what the yes. fuck's gonna happen. Yes, I I always try to not think about think try to think ahead of the movie too much because I worry that I'll sort of get in my own head a little bit where I'm like oh are they gonna do this now are they where where are we going with this where? yeah so you know it's it's first I always find the first one first viewing with these really big movies just I just gotta like I gotta see it again. I have a bit of that too, and I know I certainly have a thing with like the Pixar movies because they're what I watch when I can't fall asleep at night because my brain doesn't work. Um, it's very hard for me to see like a Pixar movie for the first time. 
be it good or bad. Right. Because it's like, you know. That's your Christmas. Well, like fucking like Incredibles, I've seen 80 times. Me too. So I know every single like micro movement in it. Me too. Where then to watch Inside Out for the first time when people were like, how do you think it ranks? I was like, I don't even know yet. I think it's great, but I need to. You need a couple times. Right. But what about when you see like, what's a bad picture? A bad one? I'm cursed to have only seen once because I'm just like, I fucking get it. It's bad. Sure. Good Dinosaur, I've only seen once. Oh, God. You know? I think I watched that. I watched it about half. Yeah. I mean, I was there for the whole movie, but. So I'll, I'll, I'll grant it that. But, but here were my stumbling blocks with the movie, okay? Um, ben, when, when you were very surprised that I, I didn't like it more, Ben. Yeah, I mean, I was mildly surprised. I think Ben was quite surprised. Yes. I just, it like delivered on, on you know, action and not being clunky and being interesting in the stars world star wars world well and there's something you said like right when i because the movie ended david you went what do you think and i like shook my hand i did a like eh, kind of mm-hmm. half half thing right and ben you were like shocked and then the thing you said immediately in defense of the movie was like it's got one objective and they just do it yes Yes, you liked that it was a, a pretty focused story about a focused mission. But also, that's something that I've complained about a lot, certainly with the, the Phantom Menace trilogy, that it's like, you don't know what the fuck's going on. Mm-hmm. And when I complain about big blockbuster movies that are overloaded, it's like, I don't know what they're trying to do. And also, of course, these franchise movies these days that have to be about lots of things, because yes. they have to lead all these threads dangling. You know? Right. It didn't get caught up in its own mythology. I agree 100%. And I, I respect that about the film immensely, that it is like... The good guys and the bad guys both have essentially the same objective, right? Mm-hmm. It's right. centered around one thing. Right. And whatever's going on on a scene-by-scene basis in the movie, you know it's working to that end. It's mm-hmm. very easy to chart it. My two big stumbling blocks with this movie are the objectives are very clear. I think it's pretty well plotted. Yeah. I don't think it has a story. I disagree. I don't think there's really a story to this movie. I think there's an objective. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a story because I don't think any... One character in this film actually has a an arc, an emotional arc. Yeah, I think this is a movie where the emotional arc is in the Rebel Alliance, not in the characters as much. And it's more about links in a chain, like sure. you know. That's and that's what I liked about it. Now this gets into me not throwing out an objective opinion about the movie, but just mm. a subjective response. Sure, sure. which is I well, mostly no one can have an objective opinion. Right, right? right. I'm not trying to argue that the movie doesn't work because of this. Yeah, I'm just talking in my own experience. I tend to relate to things through character. Sure. And we've recorded a second Private there's Ryan gotta episode. Be stuff let me, let me just say my true. little thing here before we go through. No, no, yeah, I know what you're saying. And again, you should say it. Because right, people haven't yes. heard the Saving Private Ryan right, episode, even right. though we recorded it right. a while back. But I talk a lot in the Saving Private Ryan episode about how I have a lot of trouble getting into war movies because war movies are more objective based and sure. there tends to be an ensemble of characters who are thinly sketched because there's not really room for if you're realistically depicting war, yeah. it's such a tense, fast situation. Yeah. It's hard to have like real character moments. Right. You couldn't have ten minutes of, you know, I don't know, whatever, Bayes Malbus, where it's like, you know, right. here's what his deal really is. And it's uh also, of course, war movies are about a country or a group, right? Yes. Like they're about the objectives of some sort of a larger, you know, the allies, the axis, what you know, like some sort of a larger body of people. Right. I, I think as all listeners of this show to. will know, tend to be a pretty uh, obsessive detail focused person. <laughs> yeah. And I have a hard time dealing with things in the macro, kind mm-hmm. of. I need to deal with things on a micro level, which is why I think I engage with characters so much. Because if I can follow what's going in the story through an emotional through line, then I have an easy I get you. connection. More of a comic book thing. Yeah. Like, or, or, I mean, I know you like 
always true in a comic book. Like, you know, there's yes. always very big, bold characters for you to, you know, right. uh, uh, lasso. I, which but is why I like, like, primal fucking pop storytelling. Yeah. But I, and, you know, the Star Wars movies always have, uh, even when they're bad, like, the, the prequels are very much character-based movies. They're bad arcs and they're poorly, you know, rendered characters. Right. But they are, like, character stories first and foremost. They are. This they is are. the first Star Wars movie I've seen that, like, isn't really character-based. No, and it only has... And it's only really interested in one character arc, and I would say it's only mildly interested in it. And which one do you think that Jin, is? Yeah, I mean, Jin. It's the, it's the only one where they're even bothering to provide a lot of context. See, I think Galen's the one who comes closest to having an arc in this movie. Uh, well, you, you mean... Uh, Mads. You mean... Uh, which is why I wanted to get dinner Galen. Galen. Galen or okay. Galen or so. I was a little, I was like freak, I was like looking at the cast list and went, Gatlin. Who the hell is Gatlin? I said Galen. You said Galen. I don't <laughs> pronounce things well. <laughs> Galen's got kind of an interesting arc, but I yeah. mean, not a not a and a lot of it happens of it. off screen right. in between scenes and I, stuff like. that. Can I argue the yes. point? I thought uh, like two performances and I think like two kind of characters that maybe it wasn't a huge arc, but it felt like there was something there was the uh, the blind character Chura. Yeah, and and his his good friend Baze. Baze Malbus. Those were my two favorite characters. They're I will so agree with good. you on that. Ah, uh, and like you know, I, again, they maybe didn't have enough time to really explore, but it still felt like you sort of sort of saw the relationship and saw sort of where it went. I know. thought Bodhi had a nice little arc. I like all the characters, but I am more into this as like a dirty dozen movie. Like that's right. why I like it. Right. I mean, that's one reason I like. It. I like it for a lot of reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think the film. Uh, and we should just start getting into the plot. But I just want to set out my, like, reservations with it, which, once again, are not judgments of the movie as thoroughly as they are. Oh, maybe and like... we should actually, too, before we talk about yeah. the plot, yeah. uh-huh. uh, guys, no no bits, okay? Oh, yeah, no, that's we've, very important. Yeah, we, we've always been a no bits podcast. This is going to be a very serious academic dissection of a new Star Wars movie that just came out, the first Rogue One movie. Yeah, sure. Um, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. Smith. Pro Smiths. Oh, we're all pro Smiths. No spoilers. Yeah. Um. Okay. So <laughs> you are. Okay. I, That's a bit. <laughs> you just did a damn bit. No bits. No bits. I'm not doing David, any bits. We're not. David, what the fuck are you talking God, about? God, remember the old days. <laughs> yeah. Remember the fucking old days. Ah, oh, God, how great it would be <laughs> to relive those old days through four best of episodes Dun-dun-dun-dun. coming up after this. Anyway. Um. Okay. So the movie starts. I. I. The. The beginning. I was actually pretty hooked. I, uh-huh. The beginning was kind of functioning on the level that I wanted out uh-huh. of this, you know? Uh, starts with young Jyn Erso, mm-hmm. uh on her home planet of... I can look it up. It's yeah. got an apostrophe in it. Okay. Hey, and no and no crawl either. No crawl, no crawl which I thought a, was cool. We, yeah. we have the long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, which I assume is now going to be the standard. That's the thing that's being well, held on to. <laughs> unless the film doesn't take place a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. You think they'll make one of the spinoffs that takes place in like New York know. City in like two thousand five? Nebraska. It's possible. <laughs> uh what if they made one of the Star Wars stories about us doing this podcast? Uh yeah, that'd be really good. Who do you think would play us? Not this episode, but like do the whole like, podcast. The the Griffin David present and then the saga of that turning into blank check. Who would play us? Uh I mean, God, the uh, dumb. I mean, if Johnny Galecki probably plays me, right? He's pretty old. Yeah, f- fucking. Hey, read the comments. See how many people think that Johnny Galecki played Arthur in the Tick. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. 
That's actually crazy. People yeah, it's are, fucking people insane. People are pretty unobservant. Yeah. I want Dexter Jetster to play me. <laughs> okay, Dexter Jetster. You want him to play you. Johnny you want, like You want it to say in the credits, Ben Hosley played by Dexter Jetster. And Dexter yes. Jetster as. He'd get, ben would get the and. And then who would play you? I don't know. Well, you're the one who posed the thing. You don't have a... Brendan Fraser. Okay, that's a good one. <laughs> that actually, That is a good one. Yeah, sure. I think Brendan Fraser would play you well. Yeah, I think he'd do a good job. Okay, so Brendan Fraser's probably first bill, Johnny Galecki and Dexter Jetster. And as Dexter Jetster as Ben Hosley. Producer Ben Hosley, and then all the, the names. <laughs> <laughs> they would need that's a crawl for movie. my nickname. Yeah. All right, so she's on some planet. I can't find the name. Okay. We're ahead of Wikipedia for the first time the first in this time podcast ever. history. Jeez. Yeah, um... And uh, Orson Krennic, mm-hmm. played by Ben Mendelsohn and Ben Mendelsohn's Big Ears. One of my favorite living actors. He's great. Now, what do you love Ben Mendelsohn in? Uh, everything he's been in. Right. Um, I, I think he's- uh, He really is an excellent actor. He's a really excellent actor. I mean, um, uh, whatchamacallit, Animal Kingdom was the one- Sure, that's the Where I was just him. like, Jesus yes. Christ, what the fuck is I mean, is he'd this been guy? around in Australia for years already. He started acting when he was like 18. He was like in sure. stuff as a teenager. Um, but that really launched him, and then, I mean, he's obviously amazing in uh, Mississippi Grind. He's great in uh, Slow West. Uh, Place Beyond the Pines, I thought he was really excellent in. Sure, what else is he in? Let's see. Uh, you know, he's, and obviously he's in TV shows like- uh, Killing Them Softly, like he's really good in the Andromeda movie. Yes, Bloodline. I've never Which watched Bloodline, Everyone's got to get rid of Danny. Yeah. What's up with Danny? He won the Emmy for that? He did win an Emmy. Yeah. Uh, somewhat ridiculously for the second season in which, I'm sorry guys, Bloodline spoilers, he is dead. <laughs> and a ghost. Oh, interesting. Anyway. Um, but he's, but he's, he right now, he's a bit of a flavor of the month for Hollywood, and that is not to dismiss Ben Mendelsohn's overall quality. It's just like suddenly he starts getting cast in tons of projects. You know, He's, he's almost a, going through a like Alan Rickman post Die Hard thing where it's like, let's plug this guy into the exactly. system. Exactly. Or maybe a Gary Oldman, you know, back in his breakout years. You know, yeah. that thing where it's like, here's a nice green or textured character actor oh look at this guy's face i just want to put it in something right because he's going to be in ready player one right he's a yes and he just got announced he's going to be the sheriff of nottingham in the new robin hood so he really is like the new alan i was yeah yeah, i was actually a little annoyed when i saw that that felt too obvious i had a good tweet about it. that's a waste of like six months of ben mendelson when he should should be playing a jolly mailman in something yeah yeah, yeah, that was my. That was I'd be my more joke. excited to see Ben Mendelsohn playing like Little John or something. You know? Yeah, no, I'd like to see him be funny. Yeah, because uh, he has the one rapper? very. Yes, yes. Lil yeah, John. Lil John. <laughs> Lil John. Yeah, that'd be very unproblematic, and no one would object. Um, <laughs> uh, he's gonna be in Darkest Hour, the Joe Wright movie about uh, Winston Churchill. He's okay. gonna play George the Sixth. That's a movie that's coming up next year. I was looking at movies that are coming out next year, and I was like. Holy shit, like, right, we do this again. Oh, yeah. We Every year. Got to go around the horn More again. movies. Yeah. Um, ben Mendelsohn is mostly known for being a kind of twitchy, sweaty. Villain. Yes. Yeah. But but kind of uh, a gross, you know. Oh, um, I see. Okay, sure. He's got a kind of Grimy. live wire energy, but he, he goes into, he's very uh, unvain. Yeah. There's no, a better sure. word for that, I'm sure. No, but right? you're right. You're but he doesn't give a shit, and he doesn't care about being sympathetic. And he doesn't care about being, Nothing. you know, a lot of villains want to go for, uh, or villain actors want to go for a certain seductiveness or something like that. No, I mean. He's the squirrely kind of like live wire dude who's very twitchy. And uh, when they announced that he was going to be in this, it was really exciting. I first thought he was going to play a hero because they hadn't announced he was the villain yet. And I was like, I'd love to see him play a hero in something like this. I think when I saw him, got, and I was like, oh, well. He's probably your villain, right? It was either him or Forrest Whitaker. Like, and sure. that felt, Forrest Whitaker almost felt even more obvious. So. I, I do love, though, that the villain he plays in this isn't 
like they could have very easily made him like the weird twitchy alien exactly. villain. No, no. I like the idea of Orson Director Krennic he's very a lot. Regal. He's very he's sort of well apportioned. He's in his uh, Imperial whites all the yeah. time. And uh, but uh, Abe, Abe Reisman, you know Abe, right? Yeah, he's yeah. a, yeah. a writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He tweeted, uh, "Rogue One is in many ways the story of a product manager who gets screwed by one of the firm's senior partners just before rollout." And, uh, you know, that is kind of what Orson Krennic is. He's yes. like, yeah. he's the guy who thought of the Death Star mm-hmm. and everyone was like, come on, man, a fucking planet sized spaceship that blows up planets like you're out of your fucking mind. And he like, he makes it happen, damn it. And he gets the scientists and they build the fucking thing and it works. And then the minute it works, you know, everyone's like, oh, wow, this thing's really good. Right, get out of the way. Like, come on, I'm in charge of this now. He's almost like the Orlando Bloom of this Elizabeth town. Interesting. You could but imagine it works, though. in Rogue Two, he would jump on that suicycle. The suicycle. Yeah. Uh, it works. But I, I like that they, even though he's a villain, they cast him against type. Okay. Fine. And he's got yeah, an no, amazing look in this movie. And great ears. Great ears. Um, he's got a good look. He's got a very good look. It goes a long way to making him work as a villain, even if his character is undercooked at times. Yeah. You know. And for a guy who's usually so, um, you know, uh, behavioral and twitchy and physical as an actor, to see him play this kind of stoic and regal, mm-hmm. but not have it feel like an affectation, mm. which I think a lot of people can do, where it's just like, okay, squared shoulders, good posture, like he's just posing. Mm-hmm. It feels like down to his bones, this guy is just like the empire. Yeah, you he's know? the empire. Yeah. Very, yes, I agree with you. And it feels like, you know, you look at, a, a what's his name, uh, Donald Gleason's uh, character. Hux. Right. Felt like more of a Ben Mendelsohn type and vice versa. Mm-hmm. But but I like that they cast these two against type. Anyway, 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 he lands on this planet. He's searching for. And I like this scene, too. I like the environment of the planet. I love the opening. It's very verdant. Yes. It's very moist. Yeah. Uh, it. I don't know. Yeah, he's searching for or Galen Urso. Yeah. That's Mickelson. Who is the father, Jin Erso. Uh, yeah, and who is a scientist who uh, was working with him on this, you know, weapon, this uh, the Death Star. You get the sense that he's sort of the the Albert Einstein to this. Yeah, or the Oppenheimer, whatever. Right. You know, like, the yeah, the sort of uh, great scientist roped into, you know, uh, the military, the military-industrial complex. Right, and he started getting these reservations about what was going to happen with the Death Star and sort of backed away. I like this opening because it is using a lot of tropes that we're familiar with in Star Wars because even, I mean, they talk about him being a moisture farmer, but also the sort of pillars in the background mm. are very reminiscent of uh, Luke's home in Tatooine mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the original Star Wars, which I only call Star Wars. Of course. Um, and it feels like this is the scene we didn't get to see with Uncle Owen and Amperu when the stormtroopers come, you know, and look for them. Sure. It's right, like right, an upsetting right. inversion where it's like, okay, now we're seeing this through a child's eyes of... Right. You thought you were safe. You're in the middle of nowhere. You're hidden away, and now the empire comes. Because little Jin is there, right? And uh, yeah, so they they kill his wife when she tries to. She tries to shoot yeah. uh, Orson, and she does shoot Orson, I guess. But they kill her. Mm-hmm. And Orson does not die. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they capture Galen, and Jin runs away and hides in a little hidey hole. Mm-hmm. And then she's eventually rescued by Forrest Whitaker. Playing Saw Guerrero, but they Saw don't pronounce Guerrera. it Saw. Don't they say like Sea Guerrero or no, something? Saw. I kept on thinking the yeah. way they pronounced it was weird. They, they just say Saw. Saw Guerrero. Yeah, he plays Saw Guerrero, who's a character from the Clone Wars cartoons, but I've never watched those. Uh, I've I've only dabbled. 
He's a he's a militant yeah. from this Clone Wars cartoon. He's not a huge character. He's they, only in a couple. He's episodes. got a little yeah. arc, and they yeah. revived this character mm-hmm. older, you know, obviously because this is set years later, right? Because uh, this is set essentially when Star Wars is set. It's set like in the. I mean, not this scene, but most of the movie is Once set we in get the past weeks the prologue, before yes. Star Wars. Yeah, it yeah. takes place literally weeks before Star Wars. So this is, I guess, this is fifteen years ago. You know, you know the the opening sequence. So it's yeah. set in the middle of the Empire, basically. Like right, right there in the middle. Uh, great looking character performance. I really like. Uh, wait, which who? Which, oh, uh, Forrest Whitaker, Sagra. Great looking. Yeah, you like the performance. I like the performance. It's. I mean, he's he's, he's doing got a, a lot. Of a high voice. He's doing a lot. I mean, Forrest Whitaker this year with the voices. Yeah, because he had his quote Boston end quote accent in Arrival. That was a weird accent. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. in a movie about communication, you were like, "This accent is what he's decided to communicate with." Yeah, I mean, Forrest Whitaker's a really interesting screen presence. I because love him. He's simultaneously very understated and very overstated right. at the same time. Well, and also, literally, no one on Earth in the entire world and the history of humanity looks like Forrest Whitaker. No. he's got a very unique look. He's got these, you know, the uh, the lazy eye. Yeah, and also like this very sort of odd gait. Like yes. everything about him. You're like, there is Forrest Whitaker. A mile away, you could point him out. And he also, like, you know, he used to be a bigger guy, and he's lost a lot of weight in recent years. He has, although he's still sort of big. Like, but, yeah, he's but it imposing. makes his head even more interesting. Yeah, he's got a great head. Ugh. Yeah. What, I mean, I have always loved Forrest Whitaker. I'm yeah, trying to think. Too. Like, even as a kid, I knew who he was. Yeah. And I liked his name, like, because his oh, name was Forrest, which name. is a great and name. Whitaker, what a good last name. Great name. Yeah. I um, love you, Forrest Whitaker. But he's got that thing. I mean, I think he's... I think Forrest Whitaker uh, is the better execution of the Eddie Redmayne thing, where it's like Eddie Redmayne in uh, in Jupiter Ascending or in, in everything but Jupiter Ascending. Okay, I think Eddie what, Redmayne in like Fantastic Beasts or something. I think what both of them excel in is, or what both of them attempt to do is very uh, over the top understatement. Uh, okay. So they're okay. both kind of quiet. I get you. I get and you. whispery, and they're like close-up actors. So, so where they're doing has micro kind of a high voice, though. Well, that's what I like about secrets. Yeah. yeah. The the thing though too about him, and I don't know, it's it's time. It's kind of tiptoeing into grievous territory a little bit with like sort of the scratchiness of his voice. And he's got the he's weird got, breathing mask. Well, when we yeah. see him later, yeah. 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 Uh, he's his hair's grown out. Right. And yeah, he almost he's almost Vader esque. He has two like robot feet. He has robot feet. He's got a breathing mask that's yeah. attached to his big like sort of robot torso. I but mean, I, he's like he's like torso. the goodwill version of Darth Vader. Exactly, you know? he's a junkie version. Right, they've like had to replace him piece by piece rather than like a full body overhaul. And I think intentionally, and I picked up on him both times, but especially the second time when he sucks on his respirator yeah. and it makes a Darth Vader noise. You see in Riz Ahmed's face, like, uh, like, ugh. like. So there's obviously, yeah. I think it's an intentional, like, Darth Vader drop there. I think so too, and I love that. Like, okay, so Darth Vader's like fucked up, and they put all this shit on him, and it ends up with him having the deepest, most intimidating voice in the universe. Sure, right. Which is very different from Hayden Christensen's kind of nasal whine. Very true. Which Jake Lloyd had as well. And then you get to this movie, and it's like Forrest Whitaker, who has a range of voices, but is known for being like a very powerful voice yeah, when he wants baritone. to be that. Yeah. Right. In this, suddenly has this like crushed windpipe, and he's like, what would you do? You know? <laughs> he's, he's given it all. But he's he, like the inverse of Darth Vader in every sense. I get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what do you think of, I mean, I guess there's like, there is other stuff in between Jin uh, as a kid and Jin reuniting with 
Saw Gerrera, but we like since Saw Gerrera's scenes are pretty concentrated at the beginning of the movie, we could just wrap up Saw Gerrera's stuff right now. I think let's bridge the gap. I mean, yeah. the uh, you know, she runs away, Saw Gerrera finds her, Rogue One, there's the title. Ben pumps his fist. Yeah, he's like yellow, fucking awesome. Classic yeah. yellow script. Right. But just as Rogue One. And just a smash like title. And then we go to, you know, 15 years later, whatever, and Felicity Jones, Jin Erso, now grown up, is in like a, a cell with a bunch of other weird aliens. Uh, yeah, and I should we should note uh, this is a movie, especially at the beginning, it's cutting between a lot of like locations in space, is giving you title cards. Yeah. And explaining what they are in the title cards. To all this is all new for Star Wars. It's moving very fast. Yeah, um, it's it's definitely got a different kind of rhythm than most Star Wars movies. Yes, because it's about all these links in the chain that have to kind of get united. So yeah. you know, it, instead of just the other the old Star Wars movies, especially um, the Lucas originals, mm-hmm. less less so like Force Awakens and the later ones. But it's like in 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 the original Star Wars, there are the plans. Yeah. And you just follow the plans. Like, they go into R2, then you're with R2, you know? And then you follow R2 down to the ship with C-3PO, and then there's robots walking around for a while. I mean, no one's ever going to make that movie again, right? That's just uh, 15 minutes of robots walking around talking to each other in which the I, desert. I know. I love. Of course, it's the greatest. Yeah. But, um, but, but and then the plans happen up yeah. with Luke, and then you're following, you know, like, it's always, you're, you're, you're really just following one thing through many, you know, different plots. Right. Well, I don't even know if we're going to get a Dexter Jetser scene ever again. You know, like, the, even the prequels are still more methodical in that they were, like, pretty concentrated narratives. Right. Well, and of course, yeah, Attack of the Clones, which you're referencing, that, that has the two narratives, but it's right. trying to be, like, a mystery. Right. But it's, like, the way he, a like... great pot boiler. The way he solves the mystery is by having to have, like, eight different conversations with people that are each long, you know, and are not set pieces, are not action sequences. Right. Um, this movie isn't really concerned with any of that, but we're setting up kind of the different parallel narratives of, okay, who are all the people? We have uh, uh, Booty Rook, which is a lot of fun to say. Yeah. Uh, Booty Rook! Yeah, so we've got, yeah, we've got Jin in jail, uh, or in space, in like a space chain gang. Yeah. In a, on some rocky planet. Right. You've got Bodhi, uh, who has come to Jeddah, which is where Saw Gerrera makes his home. Which was previously the planet of the Jedi? It's a planet with a Jedi temple, and you see that big... Jedi structure that's been toppled. Look kind of like Obi-Wan, bearded guy with a hood. Yeah, but, well, it's a Jedi. I mean, look, let's, let's be honest. Those guys didn't exactly, like, vary their fashion choices. You know, a lot of robes. Tell that to Kephisto. Well, that's true. All right. important well, respect to of, yeah. of the planet is that the crystals that the Jedi use for their lightsabers are being mined to basically arm the, the Death Star. Yes. The kyber crystals. And I think they're yeah. called kyber crystals. Mm-hmm. And uh, I forget if this had been established in a nerdy Star Wars extended canon It's before. a big part of Rebels, I know. Yeah, and certainly so, Clone yeah, Wars. Right, right, right. It's never been part of the movies before, but it's right. been part of the We've mythos for a long time. that you need a crystal, like, if you're never a Star Wars nerd, to make a lightsaber, right? And We've then, never had a movie talking about kyber crystals no. this much. But yeah, so, so yeah. Jedha, which is another Tatooine, another mm-hmm. deserty place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's got crystals. This one, Sagarera is hanging out there. Big broken statue. It's a flashpoint in the galactic civil war. So mm-hmm. there's, a, there's like a very tense place, and Bodhi has arrived there. He's defected from the Imperial Empire to give information to Sagarera, and so we see some of this. Yes. And then in our third string, I guess it's uh, what's his pants? Cassian uh, Andor. Cassian Andor. And K. He calls him K, but K two S O. K two S O. Yeah. They call him K two. The breakout no, character of the film. Yeah. yeah so I good. think that's fair to say, right? I mean, he's going to be the, the fan favorite. So funny. Fans will love him. Yeah. 
So Cassian Andor is played by Diego Luna. A very pretty man. Oh, he's so... He's... And he's one of those guys who's... Pr- the more you fuck him up, the prettier he gets. Yeah. You know what I mean? I like him dirty. Which is interesting <laughs> because he does have such delicate features. He that, does. He that does. one would almost and think... And he's slight. He's kind of a small guy. Right. He's not like a rugged, like, fucking Kevin Costner where it's like, well, of course you put a beard on that guy. He's going to look really, you know, fucking masculine, you right. know? Right, right. Like, you you put some scruff on him, you put him in dirt, and it's like, still just pretty beautiful eyes. I, I just love that the two cute boys from Itamama Tambien who made out all the way back in 2002 are still just, like, both getting work yeah. in, like, big movies yeah. and making their, you know, more indie movies and artier movies. Diego Luna's, like, directed, I think, one or two oh, films himself. I, I he just, just seems like a really sweet I'd guy. I'd marry him. I'd marry him. I'd totally marry him. Yeah, he's directed three movies. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I mean, I he made Cesar Chavez, which was not a hit, unfortunately. Right. But a big biopic with uh, Michael Pena. He yeah. made a movie that my mom uh, uh, loved that was about a little boy. Uh, was it called Abel? Yes, yes, it is. And I was at a film festival where that was playing, and at the restaurant, uh, he was sitting there uh, at the table next to us with the boy and his parents. Sure. This like, child actor he That's had in a great. movie. And I was just like... You know how you can really test people's metal by how well they deal with kids? Sure. Because you kind of can't bullshit a kid. I was just like, this is a dude who's like a movie star dealing with like a child actor who clearly isn't like, you know, a stage kid. Right. And it was like, oh, he's like actually dealing with this kid as a person, has brought him to this festival, but is really trying to engage with him and is close to the parents. And I was just like, this seems like a really good person. That's great. Yeah. So Diego Luna, how do you feel about Cassian Andor? Not a character. (laughs) Fair enough. So Cassian Andor is an I, intelligence I loved watching officer. him in this movie. He looked cool. He has great outfits. I don't think there's a character there. Well, the character is is, is pretty broad, and the idea is he is- Rebel He's soldier. a rebel. Yeah. No, he's like a Captain. spy, yeah. so he's had to sure. do some bad things. You see him do a bad thing in his first scene where he kills an informant, yeah. uh, basically to silence the informant, and then escapes. And the informant has given him this news that there's a defector going to Saw Gerrera with some news of a planet-killing weapon. And so, you know, Cassian gets a couple more scenes where he sort of, you know, he espouses on this idea that, like, you know, the rebel for the Rebel Alliance, he's had to do lots of bad shit, and he wants to do some good shit. Uh, and that's about the extent of his character, I would say. Yeah, I don't... He's also, like, the guy in charge, so he sort of, you know, bosses people around and gives he's the expert and stuff like that. Yeah, he's the expert of the team, so he's the guy who knows what they need to do and how and to And I would say and... Diego Luna projects that all very nicely, the sort of the expertise and the kind of, like, you know, that, that sort of an attitude. And I think with uh, a, a pretty um, quietly atypical portrayal of uh, masculine yes. dominance for a movie like this. Yes, he's very restrained. Yes. He's, like I said, he's kind of physically slight, but he's you, you still believe in his kind of general, you got, know, skills. He's and got a delicate expertise. voice. He yes. doesn't try to lower his pitch. He doesn't yell. Voices. Yeah. Mm. I mean, he's, he's pretty gentle. You see, this is in this playing movie. a little delicate wind instrument. Um, there was, was some dumb review that was circling, circulating around where-, where I hate critic- dumb reviews. I hate it. Let's be very clear in the show. No bits, pro-smits, anti-dumb reviews. Great. Um, they were saying that like a, a a thing that doesn't work in this movie is the film is not given a traditional masculine hero. Oh uh, yeah, which is the most that fucking was, annoying that was thing in the, in the world. Right, it was Hollywood Reporter. It was essentially it was saying awful. like, oh yeah, this film really lacks a masculine hero. And I I wanted to be like, yo, you ever met Luke and or Anakin Skywalker? Because those guys are kind of pretty babies. Like also, all but one of the primary characters in this film is male. Yeah, no, they're all men except for. 
Jin. Jin. I mean, I mean, Mon Mothma is a sort of semi-important character, but yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, I I like that about the movie that they're they they're not hiring uh typical uh leading men for an action film. Not at all. Not any of these characters. And the actors they're hiring, they're not pushing them to try to play more out of type from what they usually do. They hired everyone to do the thing they're good at doing. They're all great. Yes. Now I normally like it big, but I will say that I was glad that we don't have any big Vin Diesel esque guys. But it would have just been distracting. K two is pretty tall. Well actually but that's He's also got a great butt unusual. Too. Yes. This is that's the first time we've seen in these kinds of movies a droid who is not either a little garbage can on wheels, uh-huh. you know, some variation of garbage can on wheels, or kind of like an effete butler man <laughs> who's like, well, excuse me. You know, yeah. essentially he's 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 not bulky, but he's large. He's tall. He's lanky. And and he like sort of can bonk you on the head. Like he's got bonk powers. He's got Donkey Kong arms. <laughs> he's got long. <laughs> that's true. They're kind of like uh, gorilla arms. Yeah. yeah. I love that he had this. Like, he he kind of walks like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. Like he's got this slouchy posture, this weird build. Uh, and he's played by Alan Tudyk, who's great. Wouldn't you say a sense of humor is like, like a robot's sense of humor would be? Yeah, in that he doesn't really have a sense of humor, but he has a completely unfiltered uh, approach to dialogue. He's the Drax of this movie. Yeah, he's like it's a similar game to Drax, where it's like this guy understands the concept of humor and wants to be personable, but doesn't have any personable like thoughts in his head. Yes, he's trying to relate to people in the way he. Only way he knows. I would say Alan Tudyk's very good, and Alan Tudyk, really, shout out to Alan Tudyk. You never know it's him. No. I mean, obviously you know because he's in the credits and stuff, but he his voices are always different. Yeah. it's He always gives a different, like a nuanced vocal performance, except for, you know what I'm going to say right now. You know what I'm going to say, right? You know what I'm going to say? I'm divi- I mean, I want to try to call it. What, what are you going to say? I did not murder him! Oh, yes. That's <laughs> my favorite. No, what do you? We, Second time he's played a, a gentle robot. Um, no, I. I You're thinking I, of uh, Wreck-It Ralph because he's pretty over the top in that. Well, one. he's amazing in he's that. He's amazing. Uh, he also he plays the chicken in Moana. Do you know that? Yeah, I do. I know. Isn't that funny? Because they've decided Disney has decided that like Alan Tudyk is their John Ratzenberger, mm-hmm. and they were like, we don't really know where to place you in Moana because you know we, like, we want a, a Pacific Island cast. Sure. Like we don't want to hire white people to play these characters. Mm. There's a chicken. And I watched like, all the chicken does is squawk. By the way, it doesn't talk. I watched B-roll of him recording the chicken, and he was like, "It's tough because it's just like you're trying to find different things in the squawks." <laughs> he took it like very seriously. Uh, he's great. He's man. great. Um, great actor. Uh, a I fun think, character. Was he on set? I think he was on set. Like this he was. was this he was, was on like set. A, this was a motion capture motion performance, performance yes. even though it's a robot with eyes. Yes. The only thing that's expressive about the but, robot, but it's is his, his movement. Yeah, yes. and he was on set the whole time. Yeah. Um. And then and his movement is very particular, like you say. He's a great physical actor. And there actor, is something yeah. about the robot just kind of standing there all lanky and weird and then just suddenly going like, bonk. Well, and Mr. I Did Not Murder Him was like one of the first- I did not murder him! That was one of the first mainstream mocap performances. Yes. It was like sort of right after Gollum. Yeah, and people were talking about it like, ooh, and everyone I think was like, forget it, come but, on. But he's really good though. He is, except for, I did not murder him! Yeah, but I mean, yeah. Um... Okay, so that's that's the main group of people that we're sort of what movie to. are you guys talking? About? I, I rub it. I oh. rub it, please. Okay. Um, and then uh, wait. So what? How do how do Cassian and Jin end up together again? Uh, Cassian. Um, uh, well, th- they break her out of her jail. Right. She gets broken out of the chain gang, right, and she's right, trying to right. escape. And K2SO grabs her, throws her to the ground, and says, "Congratulations, you've been rescued." Yes. Which is funny. 
Yeah, it's fine. And then they take her to Yavin 4, uh-huh. uh, which is we've Familiar seen before. Yes. You know, that's the planet where the Battle of Yavin in yeah. the end of Star Wars takes place. Uh, and uh, and that's where she meets Mom Mothma. Which, shout out, uh, what's her name, Genevieve O'Reilly. Genevieve O'Reilly. The same actress who played Mom Mothma in the deleted scenes of Revenge of the Sith. You do see her in Revenge of the Sith, but she has no words. Yes. But they, she shot a lot of footage that was cut, but we did address... In great detail on yes. her deleted scenes episode. And that there was an action figure made of her which no one bought because she was no longer in the movie other than as a background lady with a nice dress. Yes. But I do like that, uh, and it's it's funny because we're going to talk about Tarkin in a second. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, he's dead. But uh-huh. nonetheless, like, I do like the, because Revenge of the Sith is 11 years old at this point. Correct. So, yes, okay. Mon Mothma has aged more than 11 years since Revenge of the Sith. Mm-hmm. Fine. But... 11 years is still pretty... It's like, that's that's a nice gift you're getting. Yeah. The actress is aged 11 years, you yeah. know, and, like, that's pretty good. You can just throw her back in there. Yeah, it's she's pretty She's playing cool. the same person. It's pretty fucking and cool. you know what? She's excellent. She's really good. She's very, like, quiet and very authoritarian with, like, kind of like the original uh, Mon Mothma. But maybe even better. I think she adds more layers and nuances Many to Many Bothans died. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, I read an interview with that original actress once, and when she was like, I didn't know what a Bothan was, but uh, you know, I knew it was sad. <laughs> she was just like handed some piece of paper, you know, say many Bothans died. So uh, the mission becomes, you know, they they need Jyn Erso. They, they want to find uh, Galen Erso. They want to find Galen Erso because all they know is he's part of some super weapon being designed, some planet killer. Right. And they're told, like, and Jin's obviously there to, like, you know, like, apparently this is with Saw Gerrera. Jin knows Saw Gerrera. You're going to go there. You're going to find Galen. And then on the side, Cassian's told, you, you got to kill Galen. Yeah, kill him on sight. Yeah. Wanted dead or dead. Yeah, uh, with extreme prejudice, essentially. Yes. yes. This is bad that I can't remember what happens next in the movie. And what I do saw you mean? it last night. Okay, so what's the next series of, how do they end up with, with Bayes and Sherrod Emway? Well, and I should say that we're cutting, you know, during this, we're also cutting over to Saw Gerrera a couple times, who right. is interrogating uh, Bodhi. Bodhi Rook. Uh, he has a big tentacle monster, uh, tentacle his head, to uh, make sure that he's not lying. There's a tentacle monster scene. Sure. Bodhi Rook. Uh, yes. What were you going to say about the tentacle monster? What did you think of the tentacle monster? Cool. Good performance. Like it. Hard pass. Uh, Hard pass on meeting the tentacle monster, or no, in performance review. I'm saying, oh, a oh, pass. Oh yeah, I mean, we'll do a performance review. P.S. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Bodhi Rook, we should mention, played by Riz Ahmed, great actor. Yeah, Riz Ahmed, uh, a great up and coming young British rapper slash actor. Yeah, uh, who's so cute. Yeah, who you know best as a, a Griffey uh, Award nominee for Nightcrawler. Best Supporting Actor. Which I thought he was okay in, but you know what I love him in? For Lions. Yeah, I think he's phenomenal in Nightcrawler. I think he's good, but I don't like that movie, so that Interesting. was a problem. Okay. Um, Nightcrawler, we should say, directed by the editor of this movie? No, th- see, that's yet another Gilroy. There's too many Gilroys! The editor of this movie is John Gilroy. But that's Dan Gilroy who made yes. Nightcrawler. Are they all related? I think they have to be. I know Dan and Tony are definitely. I have to imagine Tony getting screenwriting yes, credit on this. they're all the son of Frank Gilroy, a Pulitzer Prize-winning play writer. Interesting. He wasn't a Pulitzer Prize-winning play, yeah. which I almost said. <laughs> he wrote The Subject Was Roses. Their, their father was Anna in the Tropics, <laughs> the Pulitzer Prize-winning play. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, there was also a female Gilroy in the end credits who I noted was worked in the art department. Well, I'm, this may not, that might be a different Gilroy because all, he's listed as having three sons. But she might be married to one of the three boys. Let's not get into Marshall Lucas territory so early. 
All right. Um, anyway, so Rich Ahmed. So what I was saying is we're cutting between these two things. Mm-hmm. And then um, you've got uh, the, the the little team, which is Cassian, Jyn Erso, mm-hmm. K2SO. Is that it? It's just the three of At them. At that point, yeah, right? Yeah. They get on their ship. They go to Jeddah, mm-hmm. which is where Saw Gerrera is. Mm-hmm. They're in the city of Jeddah, mm-hmm. and it's when they're walking around there that they meet the uh, the guardian of the wills, the like the uh, the you know blind master of the Jedi. Temple. Oh, right. He like feels her. Yeah, he feels her because she's wearing a kyber crystal. Right. He senses it. Yeah, because his his dad gave her a little kyber crystal before she ran away. Yeah. Now that this she puts around her neck. This character I find very interesting because this feels like Shirut Imwe. Yes. Yes. Uh, played, played by, by Donnie Yen. Yes. Who is of course IP a legend man. of Hong Kong like action cinema. Yes. Ip man. Yes, and many other. I mean, like. How old do you think he is? How old do I think Donnie Yen is? Yeah. 52. Oh, he's 53. That's really good. I'm good at this. He's been around forever. He's he's hot. Yeah. He's 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 uh stacked. Yeah. All, out of movies he always has like a, a teen bop haircut. Uh he's got he's yeah. I don't know. He's he's awesome. He's he, been I mean, yeah. he's mostly in Hong Kong movies. He's playing the villain Triple X, uh The Return of the Ender Cage. <sighs> Can I say something to you about that movie? Yeah. It looks really bad. I agree. Isn't that a bummer? It's a bummer. But you know what? Triple X was never good. No. Because Triple X is really bad. Yeah. Like, really bad. Yeah. And you know what I didn't think Triple X, The Return of Xander Cage, was going to do? Be bad? No. Double down on, like, the extreme sports angle. Yeah. Because, like, it's 2016. Yeah. No, well, no. Also, this is your quick reminder, uh, as I always like to point out, but somehow forgot to point out in the Saving Private Ryan episode where they both appear on screen together. Uh, Paul Giamatti and Vin Diesel are the exact same age. So just imagine <laughs> Paul Giamatti doing a film that focused on extreme sports doing all those stunts. So when you say extreme sports, like they're going to skateboard? It's like fucking not even like longboarding and like street Ugh, luging gross. and shit like yeah, that. Yeah, right. That's the thing. They, they've dug deep to like to get some new extreme sports. Are they even right. parkour though? No, not even. He's like, not a Vin Diesel's too big to yeah, parkour. Vin Diesel can't really move. <laughs> He's not really someone who can like jump in the air. There's a reason all of Vin Diesel's franchises are based around putting wheels on him. Yeah, he needs to be seated. Like he jumps <laughs> through the wall. But he, he doesn't can, grab he the He can wall. even be standing on something with wheels. I guess so. He just yeah. can't really walk. Anyway, so Donnie Yen, he's he's great. I'm gonna make a movie where Vin Diesel's on a lazy Susan the whole time. I, yeah. It's gonna be a drama where we just have to spin Vin Diesel around. And is it called Lazy Susan? Yeah, yeah that's good. That's good. Is it a sequel to Lazy Su- like Lady Susan, which it, was turned into Love in French? Yeah, and it's a prequel to Lazy Sunday. <laughs> great. Thank you. Uh, ten comedy points. <laughs> All right. What do you? Th- why do you think Chirrut? Chirrut Imwe is uh, an interesting character. This is the first movie we've seen without any uh, Jedis in Very it. Very true. As uh, we are repeatedly told, the Jedi are all dead. Right. Of course, we know Obi-Wan, and he's briefly mentioned, not by name. Right. Uh, but, you know, apart from that. We don't see a lightsaber ignited until the very end of the film. True. And it is by Mr. Bad himself, Darth Vader. Right. He is a Jedi, technically, or whatever. He's a Sure. But he's a Sith now. Come on. He's a fucking Sith Lord. Look, I can't deny it. He gave us zero stars. He's Look, a Sith Lord. I, I'm not happy about the fact that he's a Sith Lord. I'm not happy about it either. Can I wish he hadn't turned this? and murdered all those younglings. it sucks. It blows. <laughs> I think Order 66 was, on balance, a bad order. Yeah, I think one of the worst. <laughs> it's the worst one I can think of off the top of my head. There was wait, one, wait, no. I'm thinking off the top of my head. There was one time I ordered a Hawaiian pizza from Domino's. <laughs> that was cool. And what was your order number on that one? <laughs> 24, 68, 17. Okay, uh, so no Jedi in this film, as you say, but the closest thing we get is this guy. Right, who's kind of 
Um, he's kind of force adjacent. Yes. He's, uh, you know, like a friend of the force. Because force sensitive is the word they use when someone has the ability to sort of be, you know, a Jedi, could be nurtured into being a Jedi, right? Sure. But this guy is just kind of like force aware. Yeah, there's probably uh, a word for it because, you know, with the uh, extended universe is like they've got they've got words for everything. Well, and there's this sort of feeling to him like, OK, he's a blind man and we all know that, like, you know, you take away one sentence, the other ones get heightened. Right. Well, I mean, put it this way in D&D terms. Mm hmm. If the Jedi are paladins, he's yes. a monk. Sure. You know what I mean? He's got some magic powers, sort of. Like, he's got a little bit of mojo, but he's not... His power isn't derived literally through, like, channeling magic into his weapon. Well, these are the two things I like about him. Stuff like and that. the monk analogy, I think, is interesting. Yes. I mean, one he's is, kind of like a monk. One is that, if we're using this kind of Star Wars logic of, like, okay, a blind man in our world has a heightened sense of hearing, Right. Of course, yes. It's it's playing into that a little bit. Right. Star Wars, in their world, the Force is such a tangible thing right. that it almost is like that's another sense. And if you were blind, you would maybe be able to recognize and, you and pick up on yourself. that. Exactly. Right. You know, in a way that others uh, would ignore. The other thing is, he's kind of a uh, religious fanatic. A little bit. Uh, he's, he's, he's certainly a follower. He's a follower. I would say that he's like the serious version of... Um, you know, Grandma Glasses in Force Awakens. What the fuck is her name? Jesus Christ. Lupita Nyong'o. Um, oh, Masconada. Masconada. Yeah. Right? Because she's also someone who's not a Jedi but can see the Force with her big glasses. Mm-hmm. And he's someone who's not a Jedi but he can feel the Force using his blind person powers. Here, Here's the difference for me. I feel like Masconada is like a talent agent. Yeah, right. She's not religious. Right, but she's like, you just got something. I can <laughs> see it. I got a good eye. <laughs> That's a good call. She is like a talent agent. <laughs> right? Yeah. She's like, what, what do you want to be doing? Sitcom, stage, what's your priority? Right, right. She's like Peggy Siegel. Right, she's Peggy <laughs> Siegel. <laughs> who's not an agent, I should say. But, uh, you know. No. But uh, uh, that's kind of what... She, you know, they're going to do a, a Maz Kaneda one-woman show on Broadway played <laughs> yeah, by Ben Yeah, she's Midler. like Elaine Stritch. Yeah. <laughs> Elaine Stritch should have played her. If Elaine Stritch wasn't dead, she would have been a great Maz Kaneda. Sue Mengers. That was the one I was trying I'm to sure. think of, yeah, the yeah, Ben yeah. Midler play. Anyway. Uh, great reference. Uh, I'm, I'm sure Richard Lawson will love that one. <laughs> that's a joke. For, Hi, Richard. That's a joke for Maybe Richard. Maybe Bobby Finger. Bobby Finger. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure Bobby will like that one too. Bobby, Richard, and we're out. Hey, Esther could if she's listening. Esther, yeah. Only past guests of this podcast will like that joke. Not that Joe Reed will like that. Yeah, Katie Joe Rich. Will like that. Katie, Katie will definitely like it. All right. So shout what out to all you guys. No, it's great. Um, Jared um, Mway is a is like a a um religious disciple. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, he's almost like a priest where he's like, I am not claiming that I have the power of Christ within me. I uh, live my life by the teachings of Christ in service of that, trying to continue that on into the world, right? Right. And so it's the first time we've kind of seen how the Force and the idea of the Jedis affect lay people. Right. Because in The Force Awakens, there's this thing of like, the Jedi's, we've heard that was maybe a legend, mm-hmm. but it's like we know either, from the beginning of that movie, we know that either Finn or Rey are going to end up being a Jedi. We sure. know the narrative this is going on. Right. And this is a movie where none of those people are, are in that. These are lay people. And it is like, oh, in this period of time after Order, Order 66 has been executed, after right. all the Jedi's are, are on the lamb and whatever, mm-hmm. someone like Sherrod Emway would just be like, Jesus is going to return. Like this a is a powerful bit. thing. We can't lose sight of this. So and and right and he's the guardian of a Jedi temple on this planet that has essentially been strip mined, right? Because all its crystals were taken away, right? And every and star, so he's yes. sort of a pathetic figure, almost, you know, yeah. Like in 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 a, in a 
In an admirable sort of well, way. Well, in a way that yeah. people, like an agnostic would go like, this is fucking, or not even an agnostic, an atheist would just like angrily be like, Jesus isn't fucking real. Get over it. God isn't real. This universe is meaningless. And he's just like so committed to this idea of the force, you know? Right. And the power it has. That's the first time we've seen force through, the force through like a layperson's eyes without immediately being confirmed that like, this is a real thing. Come with me. You're part of the system. Now. I'm cool with that. And uh, I also want to, can I get really nerdy for please, a second? Please, please. Yeah. I mean, uh, this is the place to do it. So yeah. I believe, is it, uh, I think it's Cassian says, he's a guardian of the wills or something uh-huh. like that. He uses the word wills. Yes. W-H-I-L-L-S. And you know, of course, Star Wars was originally called, like when George Lucas first wrote it. it was Star Wills. Like, no. <laughs> it was called like. The Adventures of like Star Killer, the Journal of the Wills. It, oh, it had like the most okay. like laborious, like fucking dorky name yeah. ever. And the his original idea for Star Wars that is that you were reading the Journal of the Wills, who were like ancient scribes, you know, in the of the Jedi adventures. And uh, he wanted it to be like relayed. Like, I mean, look, George Lucas is a fucking crackpot, right? Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. But I like that they have uh, brought that name back. Yeah, I do too. Uh, I like to sort of sprinkle it on. They're you know? using every piece of the buffalo. I mean, they're definitely at this point, even the And the that's stuff. like a buffalo spleen, you know, let's be honest. It's not the the meatiest part. Right. And people were angry when like Kathleen Candy took over and was like, All that stuff is Star Wars legends. None of it is canon anymore. But it's just like she doesn't want to be tied down by those stories, but she's already picking a lot of pieces from extended universe stuff and reintegrating it mm-hmm. into the main canon, being like, I'm gonna Take what's necessary. Yeah, don't worry. Yeah, the fucking I got you. So Chirrut Imre Imre, and then he's got Baze Malbus, who I think is the coolest looking character in the movie. Baze Malbus is awesome, and this guy's got a great fucking presence. He's played by Zhang Wen, who's yeah. one of the greatest directors of Chinese cinema to ever have lived. Which is interesting that it's like, which is fantastic. Yeah, right? I mean he also acts. I mean, he, yeah, this isn't like his but first he's role. A, he's a director primarily. Well, no, he started out as an actor, and then in the 90s, he starts directing. Yeah, at this uh, point, he's more of a director. Is that fair to say? Yes, that is definitely fair to say. I'm looking at his credits just to be And he's fair, a big gun guy, we should say. Yeah, he's a big gun oh, guy. Oh, this guy's got a big gun. I mean, not Jiang Wen. I can't speak to his gun ownership, but uh, we're talking about Baze Malbus here. Sure. And he's got a big gun that's, like, hooked up. He's got, like, a super soaker with, like, a, a big uh, water tank on the back. Well, it's like a Ghostbuster setup. He's got, like, a backpack connected to a big gun that he holds in his hand, which I love. He's, like, right. a fucking Star Wars Ghostbuster. And he, like, shoots, like, I don't know, just a better laser. Star Wars yeah. has always struggled with conveying power because everything everything shoots is kind of the same thing. Yeah. They I, all just shoot a red laser. If we're going to open up the, the floodgates this much, I'd love a Star Wars story that's just explaining the, the hierarchy of lasers. Yeah. Be like, okay, here's the number one best laser we've ever had. This is a great Why laser. Why are they green? Why are they red? I don't know. Why are they blue? To look different. <laughs> yeah. Well, the blue ones are ion weapons, oh. which which cause like electrical failures. You sure. see that in this one a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Um. They, uh... Meet the two of them and in, in uh well well so they meet him because uh, he senses it yep. and then a bunch of stormtroopers come out and uh, uh Jin and Cassian and K two are trying to run away and uh sure it takes on all these stormtroopers whacks them all with a big stick with a big stick and also which I think is even cooler he's kind of like getting out of the way and letting them shoot each other yeah that's pretty fucking cool yeah um but. The uh, the grander idea also is that you are seeing like the epicenter of essentially what you know terrorism like you know the, yeah. this guerrilla war like you're seeing so one of Sagarera's band of fighters like just fuck shit up they're just like tossing grenades and blowing up stormtroopers and being jerks 
and it's chaos. And he's also sort of someone trying to hold on to the necessity of religion in a very oh, sure it is. Yeah, yes, right. in a in a very dire time, in he's, a in a time where people would lose humanity most. He's so good. The way he he's got a very odd delivery, yes. which I think is like very clever and like special, like like so like too. Forrest Whitaker, yeah. like you know, like he's just. He, he it's almost it's not quite a lisp but he's got this sort of like lilting way oh, of we're coming up uh, I can't even do it it's yeah great yeah ah um and Baze Malbus is sort of his protector I mean I like yeah, this he's dynamic yeah like buddy but he's like grumpy about it it's he's a great it's a he's classic kind of dynamic he's Chewbacca but he's also sort of his bodyguard where he's like why can't this guy just sit in a room and sit still I got to sure, keep right. chasing after him shooting other people um but you can feel the love between them oh, yeah so much love They're so strong i wish they had more yeah, but I yeah. mean, you know, you get what you get. You Look, get what you get. They made a movie. This is I I, I want to throw it's out. It's like we bought a zoo, but with making and a movie. Right. We we made a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to give him one slap on the wrist here. In this Sherrod Emway sequence where he takes down all of the stormtroopers, they cut every other second to a different angle. You have Donnie Yen in your fucking movie. I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And wides. Don't edit around this. I don't look. I mean, I don't know. Right, we should shout out by the way. This film is directed by Gareth Edwards. We haven't mentioned that. Oh, yeah, because he kind of directed it. He directed it. Look, I'm not into that That sort of asterisk. He's the listed director. He was on set the whole time. He's, Gar- he's Gareth Edwards. He's the director. He directed it, and yes. by all accounts, they uh, brought on uh, Tony Gilroy, who had been doing some uncredited script work at that point, to rework more of the script and reshoot like 40% of the movie with Gedward- Gareth Edwards' approval. Uh-huh. But it sounds like Tony was in the chair, and Gareth Edwards was just going like, yeah, that's fine with me. Yeah. Uh, okay. With this stuff... Especially since no one has reported out, like with Suicide Squad, some shit actually got reported out it's by trade papers and at stuff. This point. It's hearsay. They did a lot of reshoots. Mm-hmm. If you watch the early, especially the early trailers for this movie, there's a lot of stuff in those trailers that is not in this movie. And I will say some of that stuff that they removed from the trailers was maybe the cornier parts of the trailer. So maybe you can see what, uh, you know, what was getting diverted off of the train. You but know. It's the more emotional stuff that I probably would have had an easier like time what? relating to. All the speeches in the trailers feel like they, they were more fucking character-based. Um, I'll say this, though. Um, yes? What's interesting about the stuff that's m- missing from the movie but was in the early trailers mm. is it's not something like the Josh Chang Fantastic Four where you're like, this is a whole set piece that isn't here anymore. It's no, more right, like no, no, it's nothing like that. It's like these feel like alternate versions of scenes that are in the film. Sure. And not just, oh, here are lines that were cut out of this scene, but like, here is a scene that kind of happens in this movie, but is happening in a totally different in a location different in the trailer. Yeah. Yeah. But like different spaces, different timelines, characters who haven't met yet and stuff like that. It feels like they had two completely alternate versions of this movie. Right. Which isn't like they, uh, you know, were like, oh, this isn't working. We got to make it more like this. It was like, uh, what if we tell the story this way instead? Maybe. Like yeah. it feels like there's an alternate universe cut of this film. Maybe. We'll probably never see it. We'll probably never see it. Nope. Or even here, really, what happened? Gareth Edwards has been, by all accounts, a good soldier on the press tour and stuff, and, you know, has just sort of said, like, yeah, no, Tony helped a lot with the reshoots. Like, there's no, there, we haven't noticed yet a breach in the publicity wall to, to find, kind of figure out what it is that happened. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And also, of course, Tony Gilroy is a real director who's been nominated for an Oscar and makes decent movies. It's not like Suicide Squad where they hired a trailer company. Right. <laughs> you know, like it is, it's a little more uh, old school Hollywood professional. But when the film was announced, it was Gareth Edwards and Gary Whitta. And then after a year, they said Gary Whitta had finished his work on the film. I'm putting in air quotes. You're, wait, you're, Gary Whitta wrote it. 
the original script. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they said, like, oh, Gary Whitta has finished his work on the film. A new writer will now come aboard. Well, and I mean, it's like, look, they did the same thing with Force Awakens. I know. I'm yeah. not saying this in a negative way. Right. And then they brought on Chris Weitz. Mm-hmm. He of About a Boy and Twilight Saga New Moon. And fucking The Golden Compass. Yeah. A.K.A. The Golden Shitting of the Golden Bed. Okay. Uh, he also wrote Cinderella for Disney recently. He's been sure. doing a lot of yeah, stuff at he's, Disney. He's, he's, at this point, I think he's now just like, kind of like Tony Gilroy, like yeah. a guy you get. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, so it was like, okay, you know, is Gary Whittigan get screenplay credit on this? Uh, a Lucasfilm guy who was a VFX guy pitched the original idea for the John movie. John Knoll. Right. And he's credited his story. Right. With Gary Whitta, who wrote the original draft and only gets a story credit, and then the screenplay credit is shared between... We should shout out what Gary Whitta has written in his past. A film we've covered. After Earth. After Earth. Which after was set after Earth. Earth. It was, that's when that movie was set, was Correct. After the Earth. Yeah, just, just reminding you. Uh, Tony Gilroy has a co-screenwriting credit on this. Yep. Uh, and then there are three credited editors, one of whom is the third Gilroy brother. four. There's a lot of credit There editors. were a lot of editors on this movie. Um, so it does feel... Including me, I did, I did a little work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> on the weekends, you yeah, pitched just pitched in. Yeah. You helped him move. Yeah. I just spliced in a bunch of droid stuff. <laughs> yeah. Originally, first cut of this movie, no droids. Weird <laughs> choice. Yeah, it was weird. Um, but uh, th- this movie, like, doesn't feel reshot and re edited in a sense that there are, like, continuity errors no. or, like, gaping holes. It feels pretty tight, but it also feels like you can see that there's, like, oh, nothing to see here. We plastered over this door. <laughs> You know, I also just think the tone of the film kind of shifts, you know, uh, in its in each third of the movie. Like, I don't I don't mean like the the, even the emotional tone. I more mean like the way the storytelling is working. Yeah. Uh, But I also I do kind of hate the forensic. Like, let's try to figure because like we don't know. I'd like to know. I'd like to know, too. Um, It does feel to me, though, like. It feels to me like that kind of movie just because it feels like they never latched on to what the character story is in this film. And apparently, uh, I read today that uh, apparently Disney saw the first cut of the film and felt, I mean, and once again, this is hearsay, right? Mm. But I read on on some website that Disney saw the first cut of the film and felt that Jin Erso was too um, prickly. Yes, she was too brittle. Yeah. Which if you look at the early trailers, she's being- I rebel. Right, and they say the thing like "arrested for this, wanted for this. Like yeah, she has yeah. a big rap sheet. Yeah, this yeah. idea that she's been like a troublemaker. Yeah, and now they're trying to get her on the good side, and so they want to make her more sympathetic and empathetic. I don't know why they d- decided to do that, but I'm also, uh, yeah, I don't know. They shouldn't have done that because it doesn't really work. No, because Felicity Jones is giving a prickly performance yep. in this movie, and uh, the idea that they're laying out, especially in the first third, is like. You've got your Rebel Alliance, but then mm-hmm. you've also got your Saw Guerrero, who she's was raised by. Right. Who's like a little more extreme, kind of more militant, like more resorts to open violence, like easily. Not like a very warm, loving surrogate father. Exactly. So like, why not just, and obviously, obviously that's more of a, like something that got sanded off. Like, right. Because yes. they mention it, and but it doesn't, they don't explore it. Right. But I think there must have been a little more territory. I and mean, we've got that speech that got cut out of the trailer where he's like, what will you become? And he has the early timeline haircut exactly because in the he's, present he's day no stuff hair. in the movie right he's it's got real hair he's got big hair he's got like, and in the end in the movie he's got big hair yeah right but in that speech he's got no hair which is a real haircut i want to make that clear the ultimate haircut right where One all the hair say. is cut yeah the greatest of all haircuts um i i think stupid 
I think the stupid thing they do by taking away the prickly elements is she's still prickly though. You know, like I mean, there's the emotion stuff is with her dad, I guess. By trying to sand it down, she becomes a character so much more defined by her backstory than anything she is in the present day. Like they play up the emotions of her missing her father and all of that sort of stuff. There are a lot of scenes of her crying in this movie. I'm not saying that in a reductive way, but it just feels like she's mostly defined by her relationship to the father. She's not there anymore, rather than the original strike at this character that sounds like it was more like how someone would turn out if they actually were raised in that environment. Well, also, I think the more important thing in this movie, and for me it works, but you Mm -hmm. could even do a little more, is the idea that she's falling in love with the rebel cause. Yeah. And there's this trope where uh, early on in the movie, Cassian says, like, well, rebellions are built on hope when, you know, and she then parrot that, parrots that line later when she's trying to rally everyone to, uh, you know, make this big strike to get the Death Star plans. One and like cue for you. Sorry. Keep going. Give us the cue. Uh, <laughs> do all heroes have to be orphans yeah. in this universe? Yes, of course. Okay. Yeah, no problem. I just, it seems like that keeps happening yeah yeah i mean i think uh yeah star wars is is you know it's we talk about it a lot but it's like star wars is more rooted in fantasy and fairy tales yes. than sci-fi tropes it's very fairy tale and that's a real thing of like you know okay the the neglected kid the latchkey child left in the woods whatever who right it's it's capable of greatness gets caught up in a crazy story also parents stink yeah parents fucking suck yeah well especially when they build a death star yeah kids, that's the worst. kids rule yeah this is a movie about how kids rule when I've talked in the past, like in the early Star Wars episodes, a lot about my father's financial troubles, I forgot to mention it was because he built a Death Star. <laughs> Which, Which was just really very uncool of him. Very uncool and so fucking expensive because it always costs more than you think it will. Mm-hmm. Also, why did he build it in the South? Yeah, that's the dumb thing. He built a Death Star in Tennessee. All right. So, um, so, so they that's get- a throwback. No, it's a good throwback. I just said we should just move on, right? Yeah. I, I don't know. Do you want to do more of it? No, no. What I was just going to say is I think- <laughs> There's, there's. You look at the trailers, and it feels like there's a character story set up of this woman no, who is forced ma- to become this point. Yeah, fiercely yeah, yeah. independent, right? right? Okay, and and block everyone out and fight for herself. Who then finds a group that she can actually be part of, right? Yes. To stop being so solitary and isolated right. and antagonistic to everyone around her. And it feels like now she's someone who's just kind of like bumping around, and then they're like, "Do you want to do this?" And she's like. Yeah, I guess I do want to be a rebel. Okay. Well, no. At first, she's like, "Sure," and then she they go to Saw Gerrera's yeah. house, and it's a house. It's a, it's a house. It's a nice house. It's like a temple. I don't know what yeah. it is. It's some sort of carved in a mountain thingy. Yeah. And she's like, "Look, they told me to introduce you guys, so here I am. I'm introducing you guys, and I'm done, right?" And then he shows her this message from his dad, and the dad is saying, "Like, I'm sorry, Jin. I'm sorry." About you know that whole me getting kidnapped in front of you when I was when you were a kid. And Fucking your sucked. Dad, your I mom know. Dying. Mia culpa. I'm sorry that everyone you know keeps reminding you that I'm building like a, a collaborator and I built yeah. this Death Star. Technically, thing. that's not on me. I know it triggers bad memories, but don't blame me for people talking about me. I would classify this the the term you guys use is pretty sweaty. It's a little sweaty. Yeah, and it's a long. This feels like a reshoot thing where it was like, okay, we cut out a bunch of other stuff. Now, maybe yeah. Mads Mikkelsen's speech has to be much longer to here's, cover all the other. Here's plot the points. info dump. It's a long speech, and of course, also they are trying to make this an emotional linchpin because she basically collapses on her knees watching it right. crying. And it's like a hologram. And uh, and it's a hologram. I mean, look, another classic. They love to fucking th- yeah throw out a hologram whenever they fucking can. But let's and, just uh, let's bridge. The only thing that they're happens- kind of retconning here that yes. like. The flaw in the Death Star, that's not just some flaw right. where someone's like, oopsie, I left a hole here. 
shouldn't shoot anything down that. Just FYI. No, he was like, Psst, I left a hole here. Yeah, shoot right. something down that. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, bl- it'll blow the whole damn thing up. Yeah, that's on purpose. I think is a fun retcon. That's a good I retcon. I do too. Know. I like that. Um, but You're yeah, going to do this whole trick. You know, That's a nice one to do. In between these two points, because we can cover this quickly, the whole gang gets like arrested and then they do a jailbreak together. Right. And then they get on a ship. So now our separate characters who have been existing in different planes are now all together. They're all together. We should also say, though, Jetta gets blown up by Death Star. Right. The city gets blown up. It's yes. kind of a it's it's kind of a cool you know they can't have the Death Star blow up a planet, yeah. Because when the Death Star blows up a planet in Star Wars, that's the first time it blew up a planet. Right. I guess they could have done some trickery to get around that, but they decide not to to their credit. But they're testing it out. They're going like a tree. Okay, cool. Let's try a block. <laughs> they could have blew up a moon. Yeah, can we do a district? They don't blow up any moons. They shoot a city, and it's sort of you know it's like a nuclear attack. Yeah, and it's cool. And it's upsetting. Which and it's I give upsetting. I think this film deals with the viscerality of war. I know this is a thing that people have been arguing over. Of like Idiots were, have been arguing over There this. was the headline of like, this is the first Star Wars no. movie to really focus Tom on the Van war. Tom future guest. Yes. I mean, he didn't write the headline, but he right. wrote the piece. And whoever, you know, Vox, yeah. people put headlines on it. Like, yeah, the headline was something along the way. It's, it's the first film that, yeah, really deals with Which you know, I think Star it does. Wars. I think this is the first movie that makes the exactly. war feel This feels like a war movie, not a space opera. Yes, yeah, yes. exactly. Because we're seeing, like, on-the-ground battles with characters who might not make it, and mostly sure. don't. But not only that, to me, this feels like a fucking, you know, John Ford, 1940s propaganda movie where you're supposed to watch this and think, the rebels are the heroes. Like, it's supposed to be about, like, every man does his part. And, you know, you're sure. all cogs in this great, important thing. And, yes, of course, you know, sacrifice must be made. But, you know, it's all in the in service of defeating the Empire. You know, I like that. And that's yeah. one of the things I like about the movie. Now, stylistically. It's like whipping you up, you know. The movie I would compare it more to is Black Hawk Down. Yeah, or I mean, Dirty Dozen is the thing I thought. Sure. Yeah, a, a grittier version. Of it. The visuals are grittier. But yes. stylistically, in terms of storytelling, in terms of the sort of immediacy of the war, yes. you know, the ugliness of it, and and sort of the sensory overload kind and of thing. And also that it's kind of a guerrilla war, so there's a lot yeah. of, like, little skirmishes and, yeah. It felt like Black Hawk to me, which is also a movie I have a hard time engaging love with. That, love that movie. I know you do. And I think that movie's technically love very it. well executed, but I just watch it and I go like, oh, okay. Yeah, war sucks. Uh, they escape, they get on the ship, they go to the hologram. Yeah, no, they get on the ship, uh, they go to rain, rain Planet. I forget what it's called, but there's a Rain Planet. Uh, I think it's called Rain Planet? That's correct. It's called Rain Planet. Yeah. And uh, that's the where- The second Rain Planet we've seen now. True, true. Yeah. And that's where uh, her daddy, Galen, is, and he's been making the Death Star. This, to me, is the sag- the saggiest part of the movie. This feels the most reshot to me, I would too. agree. Not sure what. This is how they had to, like, unite the two halves of the movie. I guess like. so. Yeah. You know, we can talk about it. I guess we should- Great rain work. The rain's rain amazing. Work. It's good rain work. And they have some really good ponchos. All of them start wearing ponchos. Oh, oh the ponchos. Ponchos. Here's the thing. I want to. I want to give some credit here. Here's the thing. I think Rogue One does really well. It, it hits upon what I think is a basic, fundamental tenet of Star Wars films. Yeah. That the original trilogy did really well, and the Phantom Menace trilogy got away from. British people in jackets. Ugh. Just some great British people in some great jackets. And I know Cassian Andor isn't British, but he's got oh. two amazing jackets in this. Film. He's got a jacket that I would pay top dollar. To no well. question. They're just. This is. She's a, got some nice jackets too. This yeah. is a very jackety movie, and it's yeah. a lot of Brits to get to, so it can fit together better with the original Star Wars. Just to point out, Ben Mendelsohn is Australian, but uh, you know, Brit, Brit adjacent. Yeah, but he's not wearing a jacket. He's wearing like a tunic. Yeah, he has a cape actually. He's got he's a pretty sexy wonderful cape. cape. Nice cape. 
But a lot of like a lot of the background rebels on this are just like mm, that's a guy with a good mustache and an even better jacket. But uh, we should also point out that uh, almost everyone in this movie is not white except for the villains, obviously, because the empire right. is always white. Uh, right. Uh, but and Felicity then, uh, Jones and then is the only Caucasian Felicity Jones and her dad are the, the only group. white yeah. people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you've got yeah uh, a nice colorful cast. Yeah. Uh, Ooh, there's that weird little. Uh, Guy. Oh yeah, the little guy's great. Character. Griffin pumped his fist. Yeah. We don't know his name yet. Although maybe I should fire the trading card game back up because that's that's yeah, that's right? how you learn some names. I can't get back into no, that. No, I can't either. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm the opposite of Ben. I like little guys. Uh, and there there's a little. Yeah, it's just like a great little creature who's who's sort of trying to get out and get ahead at the beginning of the movie. I always say his name wrong. He looks like uh, Grotto. Quado? Quado. I thought you were you trying to say Wado say his name I can't just remember that way. But I like that guy because he's like, ah, hey, yeah, yeah. Uh, liked him. Good guy. <laughs> so uh, at this rain planet, the Jin is reunited with her father briefly, but he dies. They're, uh, they're trying to find well, out Orson who, is there. Right, right. Orson's there, and he's trying to find out who was- Betrayed. Them. Right. Betrayed the Empire. Sent, uh, you know, Bodhi the pilot away. Right. And so he's got like six guys and he's like, someone step forward and Galen's like, oh, fuck. I, I can't it. let these people die. Right. So he steps forward and he's like, I did it. And then he shoots all the guys anyway. And Krennic's like, I'm not going to fucking kill you because I need you, but just know you make mistakes like this, other people die. But then they all get blown up by a rebel attack and so Mads, you know, Galen dies. Right. And Orson runs away. And and uh, Jin holds her father in her arms and gets to say goodbye. And, and he convinces her, like, you got to destroy this thing. You know, you got to. It's essentially like blowing out the Death Star is completing her father's work. Now, between the opening of the film, which we've discussed, and this point when Orson Krennic is here, all the other scenes of Orson Krennic are him on a ship talking to a computer-generated Peter Cushing. You're wrong. There's one other scene. What's the other one? Him talking to Darth Vader. I thought that came after this. No, okay, it comes okay. right before this. Okay, part. right. Because okay. this is him. No, it might be. I think it's right after. I can't remember where it is because it's him trying to clean up the mess and then he goes to Darth Vader. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when it is. It's right around there. But anyway, Peter Cushing. Who died in 1994 is in this movie and is one of the five or six main characters. No, he's one of the ten main characters. I'd say he's six or seven. That's not true. Um, All he does is stand on the... uh, Whatever he is on, Star Destroyer, uh-huh. Death Star, whatever, and say like, Imperial fire Star, the weapon, think, you know, right? do yeah. the thing. Except for, for whatever reason, they decided to make the sort of conflict, the you know, the kind of in the the boardroom conflict, as, uh-huh. as I previously mentioned, between him and Orson over like who the Death Star kind of belongs to and or who it gets blamed on. Yeah, they decided to make this like part of Orson's arc. Uh huh. So you've got him not just saying fire things, but also once in a while kind of emoting. I mean, because he wants this. He's been working hard. He started in the mail room. He's worked his way all the way up to the you know Imperial destroyer, and he right. wants to get the credit for this. So Orson, this is Orson's idea, the Death Star. That's yeah. his whole character. But of course, in Star Wars, Tarkin appears to be the inventor of the Death Star, right. the guy who's in charge of the Death Star, the guy who takes all the credit for the Death so Star. They Do have they have put- pitch meetings? You think? <laughs> Some spitball in here. Uh, I just want to. Yeah, yeah. I just want to toss out an idea. I just, you know, had a weird dream last night. B- bad first pitch. Uh, like a like a like a, a killer planet. <laughs> All right. Uh, so they they've decided to bridge the gap. Yeah. You know, but to to explain why one villain would not be 
you know, around, and the next villain is right. in Star Wars. And they decide to do that by, by using... recreating... Yeah, go ahead. No, using the technology that uh, David Fincher used to recreate Orville Redenbacher in those creepy CGI commercials. Oh, they, they are very weird. I think it looks exactly like that. I think it, now, the technology's advanced, but it's the same creepy thing where it's like, this is a specific human being, we know what they look like, right. and they're asking him to do a lot of acting. Now, it's not just one shot. He's got a lot of dialogue in this movie. He's got a fair amount of dialogue. It's all him sort of squabbling with Orson, basically. Yes. Um, I'll say a bunch of things. Please. One, do you know about the slippers? No, what's the slipper? Okay, so in Star Wars, all the Imperial officers wear these like kind of jack boots. Uh-huh. You know, they wear these sort of fancy Nazi boots. Right. Peter Cushing didn't like the boots. Yeah. He asked if he could wear slippers instead, and they just don't shoot his legs. Okay. George Lucas was like, sure, Peter Cushing. That's You're Peter fine. Cushing. Yeah. Yeah. As a result, there is no footage of Peter Cushing's legs in Star Wars as as Grand Moff Tarkin. So apparently the CGI people had the most trouble creating his legs and how they move. Because everything else, they're just replicating his performance as best they can. And it is kind of, you know, it's got that uncanny valley real doll kind of thing where he even does this sort of little eye twitches that uh, Peter Cushing does. But obviously it's CGI. Well, it's like they copy-pasted micro-expressions from other scenes. But the legs... Brand new, baby. Those are brand new legs. And credit where credit's due. His legs are great in this Good movie. legs. Good legs. Much better than Chris Pratt's and Passengers. Not, Not to bring up Passengers, but his weird, bloated calves. It looks like he's smuggling oranges in the back of his legs. <laughs> really? Do you think he was, like, getting ready for Guardians or something? I don't know. Something and weird's And so, like, the, his there. body was in some sort of a mid-workout kind of, like, yeah. transformative period. He looks odd. Yeah. Credit or credits do though. Andy Garcia is great in Passengers. Oh my God, he's so shocked. He's so good. No spoilers because we know our listeners haven't listened to it. But wait until you see Andy Garcia in Passengers. It's the performance. No of the spoilers, year. but he's fifth build for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh. So yeah, what do you think? So um. Uh, other thing, I did not know about this at all. Did you know about this? Uh, I knew before? because after all our. Critic friends no, saw right, the movie with before you that. No, before that. No, I knew. I were, didn't know. There was, I then googled yes. around and saw. There's actually it's actually been much discussed. There was one trailer shot where there was from behind yes, what yes. appeared to be Tarkin, yes. and there was an actor they hired to play Tarkin in Revenge of the Sith, who had his main scenes cut out but can be seen in the background, who they put a distracting amount of makeup on to try to look like Peter Cushing. Right. Right. It was just a bad makeup job. Not that that couldn't be done, but they did it poorly. And so I assumed it was like that, that someone was playing young Tarkin, or I assumed that you only would see Tarkin from behind. Right, I or thought very were, briefly. I thought they were going to do that. I no, didn't he's know. in it a lot. And then I was like, maybe they have him do one scene. No, he's got like six or seven scenes. Some people think this is some kind of a moral outrage. Uh, he's credited in the film as like special thanks to the family of Peter Cushing. Yeah. Uh, I don't know who did the voice. My guess is Charles Dance. <laughs> It's weird that the voice is uncredited. They have someone credited as his body double, but like someone had to write, read all that dialogue. Yes, and like a I, I lot. I think of it was Charles Dance. Do you really, literally think it I was? do? Yeah, interesting. Pretty sure. Sounded like him, and he's good at it. And you know, blah blah. Yeah. Blah. Um, I don't find it to be a moral outrage. I do no. find it to be deeply creepy and unsettling. And, and the I, thing is, Charles Dance probably could have played. Grand Moff Tarkin. I would have just movie. put a little bit of makeup on Charles Dance and gone. This is Grand Moff Tarkin. You know. George Lucas in Revenge of the Sith, there's a Tarkin. He's played right. by a different actor. He I just said this. Oh, right. You just said it. Yeah. yeah. But like, but he doesn't talk. Right. And I think they shot some stuff of him talking and they decided did. not I to I think use it was it. creepy. I think this is an interesting direction for movies in general. Sort of like a Lego movie-esque thing where you just have a bunch of dead actors and throw them all in <laughs> something together. 
It's just the toy box. Yeah, you can you can revive anyone. It's got Humphrey Bogart and uh, uh, an Alf. What? <laughs> I mean, we you know, like Sky Captain has Lawrence Olivier, and like this is a trick people have been trying to pull. But Lawrence a while. Olivier is like a big hologram head. Like you don't have to have scenes where he's interacting with other people as a person. You know what I'm saying? Like Lawrence Olivier yeah, in that no, film is all through archival footage or. Stuff like that, even though they have a new dialogue for him. And they do the same thing with uh, Brando and Superman Returns, yep. but it's once again a big hologram head. Yeah, it's just, it's almost like you're just watching a screen. Right. I think to put him in a scene like this is weird because Ben Mendelsohn, who is such a behavioral actor, mm-hmm. when you're cross cutting between a close up of a CGI, Peter Cushing, and Ben Mendelsohn, it's like, oh, right, that's what a performance looks like when it's like someone just making organic choices and responding in the moment. And then it goes to Peter Cushing. The CGI Peter Cushing, and the whole time I'm a there's not one scene in the film, one shot in the film of this character where I'm not thinking like I guess it's pretty well done. Like I'm not engaging with what he's saying as much because I'm like, oh his mouth looks weird, but the eyes are pretty good. Like I'm just kind of judging it at every moment. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is, uh, it's just not a real performance. Like they're so no, it's not boxed in by it's, trying it's to replicate imitation. what he it's would like do. It's like a fax. Yeah, it's like the Fab Four, like playing Beatles songs, and you're like, oh, that guy kind of looks like Ringo, you know? Yeah. Um, I I think it was kind of a bad choice. I would have only done it for like one scene to bridge the gap. I would have had him come in at the very end. I think having him interact that much with Ben Mendelsohn is a big mistake. I agree. Let's move on. Let's move on. Darth Vader. It's great in this movie. It's really, really good. Think he does a good job. Uh, yeah, I'm glad they gave Hayden some work. It was nice to see him back. It'd be in the funny suit. if it was actually Hayden. I was really hoping. No, it's like some tall it's guy. T- three people are <laughs> yeah, credited yeah, with like, the body of Darth Vader. <laughs> Obviously, James Earl Jones distills the voice. Yeah. Someone made a joke recently where it's like, "Do you think they just have like locked him in a room and they just like read every word in the dictionary <laughs> and a bunch of made up ones?" Um, Oddvark. Some interesting stuff we learn about. <laughs> Darth Vader, uh, he lives in uh, Mordor, I think. Yes, in in the uh, in Sauron's old tower, they uh, brought it back. Yeah, he likes to hang out in a milk bath. <laughs> yeah, he he sleeps. I actually, that was kind of cool. I love that. Yeah, he he's in his like little uh, uh, what's it's it's kind of like the thing Luke's in in the Empire Strikes Back. The, uh, the, the what's it called? Not the back to tank or something. Yeah, no, that's like it. Yeah, back to tank. And yeah. you see him very very briefly. You see his little limbless. He's got little body. arm stubs. Um. I do. I thought the implication I got was that that tower is on Mustafar. That was my re- reading. Ooh, it felt kind of Mustafari. It's a lava planet. Yeah. Uh, I know from my extensive reading of Wikipedia that Mustafar has like a lot of dark uh, side magic there, so that he and the Emperor like to go there all the time just to chill out. Uh, he's great in this movie. He's a good. He's a good guy. I mean, he's a good. Uh, he's one of my best friends, Darth Vader, and I think he did a good job in this film. Um, he gets angry at Krennic, and he's like, you know, fucking take care of it. I'm Darth Vader. I don't have time to fuck around with this. Yeah. Uh, it's a brief appearance, but he's good. Yeah, that scene's good. What do you think of the pun? Be careful not to choke on your ambitions or whatever. Yeah, it's fine. Jordan Hoffman, who I love, good friend, yeah. uh, ran up to me. Or was he was you know, he was just running around after the screening. He was just like, that pun! What a pun! He loved the pun. Well, he does a force choke, and that's cool, and that's that's probably my favorite bit of fan service in this movie. There's some fan service in this movie. There's even some those, Easter eggs. I mean, I don't like the, the fucking shit when they're on uh, uh, the Jedha. planet at the beginning in Jeddah and they run into fucking Ponda Baba and you what's didn't his like name. That? Fucking, you know what? There was the point where they bump shoulders 
and it, like out of focus in the corner of the frame, you could tell it was that guy. Why am I forgetting his name? The dude with the weird face. I don't like you. Yeah, either. I don't know his name either. I can't right? remember his name. Yeah, the fucked up face guy. I was fine with it. Uh, Doctor Elzar or something like yeah, that. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was fine with it, when he just walked by in the frame, and then mm-hmm. when they had to cut to him turning around and being like, "Watch yourself," then it was like too much. Like, I'm fine if he's just kind of in the peripheries. But when they cut to fucking C-3PO and R2-D2 being like, "Eh, why doesn't anyone ever tell us anything? It's like, what the fuck? We know they exist at this point, you know? Uh, Yeah, I agree. I didn't like that. Yeah, uh, I think it was fine. What did you think of the 3PO R2 uh, shout out? That's what I just said. But I mean, like, do you think it's just like, they're in everything, right? Is there a thing they haven't been in? No. Like, they're even in, like, Star Wars Rebels and like yeah, they're not in the Ewoks cartoon. They're Maybe. not. Well, they're in droids because there were two different they're cartoon droids. shows. Maybe they're in Ewoks. I like. Well, I'm gonna make a really embarrassing like... confession. <laughs> I haven't watched all of Ewoks. <laughs> they're in. Uh, they're all those in the dinner ho- parties where I lie and go, special. "Oh yes, episode six of Ewoks. Yes, I've seen it." Yeah. <laughs> um, do you think it's just some Lucasfilm mandate, almost like John Ratzenberger, where it's like they got to be in it? Well, that was a... you got to have a three PO joke. Lucas's original idea was that, sure, that the your, whole Star Wars story was through their eyes. Well, no. His original idea was there was the Journal of the Wills, my friend. <laughs> and his second idea was, all right, how about two funny droids? His intention with the first movie was, we're going to see this nine-film saga through the eyes of the two lowest-status characters. Yeah, and it's a cool idea. It's a cool idea, and it's dropped immediately in Empire Strikes Back. They're just part of the journey. The, that film is no longer from their eyes. Well, in Rogue One, what if it was just Rogue One was just through their eyes and the whole movie was just them watching some ships leave and they're like, where are they going? And then that's the end of the movie. I'd love it if Rogue One was first person through C-3PO's eyes, literally. It would be funny if even the prequels, like, Lucas just had to labor to have R2 be there, like, while, like, Anakin and Padme are having sex and R2's just sort of, like, sitting in the room. They need to have seen this firsthand. Um. (laughs) Otherwise, they wouldn't know. They wouldn't be able to tell the story. So, is there any other well, so then, like, Easter eggy stuff? Th- no. Nah, uh, there was maybe one other one I'm forgetting. Oh, and I really like, I actually really like this. The inclusion of red and gold leader in the final battle. Oh, yeah, that's cool. That's great. I think that's cool. Because, one, you're not doing any CGI. You're just scrubbing images from the old movies and right. just literally cutting to them. Right. Of just like, oh, this is gold leader, you know, yeah. like. Love that. Love that. Because of course they'd be there. Yeah. And I love that Red 5 gets blown up. They specifically blow up Red 5, so then it's like there's an opening yeah. for Luke to fill. Yeah. You know, they're like, he's like, can I join? And they're like, oh, which, oh yeah, Red 5. Yeah, sure, take Red 5. You're Red 5. A uh, little disappointed by the lack of Porkins. Once they started cutting in a good the old X-Wing fighters. Would have been nice for a Porkins shout out. Yeah. Because all we know of Porkins is his his failure. Yes. He, that, like, he flies in and he's immediately like, oh my God, and he blows up. <laughs> would have been nice to see Porkins do some good work. It would have been nice if they just like even over like the radio went like, Porkins, come in. And he's like, yeah, I'm not on this mission. I'm taking lunch. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. You see everyone running to their fighters and you see him just sitting and he's like, where's everyone going? Yeah. Like, And he's got a sub. I'm doing a Quiznos run. Anyone want anything? He's uh he's still alive, William Hootkins, I believe. That'd be a hoot if he is. Boy. Negative uh, five comedy points. Still alive. Okay. Still alive. So now the team's like No, t- no, he's very dead. Oh, okay. <laughs> so the op- eleven years ago. The opposite of still alive? Okay. Very dead? Interesting. <laughs> it's I saw him on the Broadway stage or uh, the London stage. Oh, he was only fifty seven when he died. R.I.P. Oh, William wow. Hootkins. Is it possible you saw a ghost treading the boards? <gasps> You saw him in a production of Blythe Spirits? 
Um, um, now the team becomes a team. And that's what happens. And they're like, look, we know where the blueprint they're is. They're already kind of a t- Yeah, no. Right. But now they're really unified. And Jin's like, okay, fuck, I'm in. Right. That's Jin's been sold on it. They go to Yavin. Uh-huh. And that's where Jin tries to be like, come on, guys. Yeah. Death Star plans. You don't right. want to go get them? Right. Let's go to Scarif. Right. She does like a shittier version of Rick Moranis' speech from the Little Giants. Yeah, I think it's about as good as Rick Moranis' speech from Rick the Little Giants. Rick Moranis' speech from Little Giants is really good. Um, You've got Ian McElhenney, who's from Game of Thrones, playing General Daduna or whatever that guy's name is. Okay. You know, they sub in some actors. Jan Dadana or whatever. Jan Dadana, yeah. you know, the guy with the big white beard. Yeah. Who, his role in Star Wars is just like, he also is there and looking at the computer screen. Remember? Yeah. He's just like next to Leia. I understand that Peter Cushing is very iconic, but like, why right. wouldn't you pull him on Mothma? With exactly, him? it's the same that's thing. Where no, it's that's like, what I'm arguing here. Yeah, and I know it's like the argument is like, well, this by the end of the movie, the last time you see Tarkin, it's supposed to be like you know, fucking twelve hours before the start of Star Wars, so like it has to look seamless. But it's like, but who gives a shit? Like, doesn't it just feel creepy? Like, the, it dramatically doesn't work anytime he's on screen because you're just going like, okay, well, the held, head tilt. That's interesting. They got the head tilt right. The wrinkles are okay. You know, you're like checklisting off of what Those they did. Those eye twitches. Yeah. His eye really twitches. Yeah, it's just weird. And so the Rebel Alliance we see is, you know, it's not quite it's not quite alliancy at this point. It's still kind of fudgy. It's it's unalliance. Because I think the point is that it's after the Battle of Yavin, after this and the Battle of Yavin, that's mm-hmm. when the Rebel Alliance is really like, oh, we can we can win this thing. Like this is for real. Like, you know, this is, this is, we can destroy the Empire. We're seeing the Rebel Alliance in their uh, praying with anger, wide awake phase. Oh, very true. Very true. Yeah, I mean, Harvey Weinstein's still causing trouble. And they're like, I don't know if we can, should we even give up? It's from Planet Miramax. Right. And then, and then the, the weakness in the Death Star is M. Night's spec script for Sixth Sense. And they're like waving it around, going, like, There's a future. We, we're going to make something this here. This is a tough metaphor. I think it tracks perfectly. So then the, the yeah the second half of the movie they is decide, like well not yeah yeah second it is the second half yeah so uh, they say no but Jin and uh, Cassian and a few others you know the team plus more mm-hmm. decide fuck it we're gonna go anyway get these plans and mm-hmm. then the second half is just one big battle yeah uh, at the planet of Scarif right the tropical planet of Scarif which I had a hard time engaging with I'm so sorry it's fine that's fine I'll be okay and it really does have that links in a chain idea where it's like Every person has a little thing to do mm-hmm. that kind of passes to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Bodhi has to transmit this message to take down the you know, take take down the shield gate because then we can get you these plans. Yeah, he does it. You know, he like gets this big like wire that he like runs around and he plugs it into something. You mm-hmm. know, gives delivers the a lot message. of wire work in this movie. It's some good wire work. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Donnie Yen, hey, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Sword of Destiny. <laughs> uh, he wasn't yeah. in the first one, but he yeah. popped up. With um, Bodhi delivers the message. Literally, one second later, he dies. Yeah. He blows up. Uh, K2SO has to work some console, and he, then he's he, like- he, he, He's helping him get the plans. Right. Oh, that's, a, that's a decent scene. Yeah. Uh, his death. Like, you know, I, I like how understated that is, almost. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's, that's probably my favorite joke in the movie. Is when uh, they're fighting and Jin Orso is just like shooting around, and then uh, K2SO like pops up behind her and she accidentally shoots him in the head, and the audience is like, "Oh fuck!" Yeah, and then he pops up, and it was like, "Oh no, that was an actual Imperial right. droid." Right, it's just good because the idea of K- do we say this? The idea of him is he's a reprogrammed Imperial droid, right? Which yeah. is cool, it but is then good. but then he is like, "How did you know that wasn't me?" 
Yeah, it's a good joke. Good joke. He's funny. He's funny. I thought he was funny. I did too. I like him. Ha! It worked. My, my evil plan worked. Uh, and uh, there, I like uh, Assured Emway's uh, uh, final stand. I mean, he does the like. That's great. I am strong with the force. I feel the force. What was uh, this thing he keeps saying? I feel, I, I'm strong with the force. The force is with me. I'm the, pretty sure. Yeah. Let me, I'm gonna... The father, the son, the Holy Ghost. Like he's like just repeating it over and over again methodically. And Baze Malbus is like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I have one job. It's to keep you alive. And you're literally walking into the line of fire. I am one with the force. The force is with me. His job is he has to throw this switch so that they can send the signal. He does it you know, successfully. Mm-hmm. He dodges all the lasers. He does it. Then he gets, you know, shot or blown up. Or and something. there's this moment I found kind of touching where Baze Malbus is like, I didn't believe in this shit, but right, it's I'm great. One with the force, the force is one with me, and he's just like, it's in a time like this, you need to believe in something, you know, you need to believe in a higher power. Like he saw it fail for his friend, but like that's why religion exists to prevent, present a moral compass in times of great moral uncertainty, right, and to make you feel like there is a plan mm-hmm. in an otherwise chaotic world. And it is chaos. I mean, this whole battle scene is utter chaos. Yes, and I like that the and film... And it's good chaos. You feel it. Like, you know, it feels messy and fucked up. I like that the film presents the Force and the idea of the You're Jedi's... You're so grudging. ...as that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I like that a lot. Because at this point, it's like, you know, when we hear about religion today, we're like, yeah, but those guys back in 1800s, they, they, believe they claim shit. they were, like, talking to Jesus and shit. Right. And now, you don't hear modern accounts of that unless it's, like, you know, immediately discounted as, like, yeah, oh, sure, this lady sure. thinks her toast is Jesus or whatever. <laughs> but in this movie, it's, like, the that Jedi's... That one was true. Yeah. The toast was Jesus. The Jedi's, for them, are like that. It's, like, the Jedi's are, like, yeah, there are these guys, like, 60 years ago who, like, seemed really in touch with the Force. Yeah, right, right. No, I mean, and The Force Awakens is playing in that pool a lot yeah. as well, obviously. Yeah, I just like, the, yeah. No, I, I mean, the, the, the Jung Wen's death scene, the, the, you know, both of their death scenes, Donnie Yen and Jung Wen's Well death, done. They're great. Yeah. And and again, you're yeah, you're seeing him die. Yeah, you see K2SO die. Jin Orso and Cassian Endor are dressed up like Imperial officers. They've snuck on. They're going through a computer system. It's they're, all true. They're it's, in like a giant like, like Wi-Fi router building. Yeah, and it's sort of like that new thing that a lot of Best Buy stores have. Have uh, you seen this where you just type in, like, I want a copy of... Have you seen this? No. There's, like, the Best I've Buy... I've been to a Best Buy in a while. The Best Buy at 23rd and 6th has this, where you, like, search and you're like, uh, who framed Roger Rabbit on Blu-ray? And uh-huh. then there's this big wall. It's like a giant vending machine. Oh, my God. And this robot arm, like, scans across and pulls Roger Rabbit out. So you don't have to, like, go through shelves. So it's just a bigger version of, like, a candy machine. Yeah, it's a yeah. huge candy machine. <laughs> It'd be funny if it was a candy machine. Like, if the, the drama in Rogue One was, they, like, they punch it, and then, they're, like, the little rings turn, but then it's stuck, and they have to, like, bang it. It's the size of, it's, it's like a whole wall, and they're doing that. They're trying to, like, locate the thing, right? Yeah, yeah. and uh, they do, and it's called Stardust. Yeah. But I like I like that they can't It's a turn... copy of Stardust, Matthew Vaughn's Stardust on DVD. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. like, K2SO, I mean, Galen Urso, huge yeah. fan of Robert De Niro's huge. work in that movie. Yeah. It's, a, it's an underrated performance. Um, but yeah, so they, you know, they they get this plan, they climb up the tower, and uh, what's, Orson Krennic finds them, and he's chasing after them. He's like, you're going to lose. And she's like, I'm not going to lose. So, and and I don't, I will say, I don't like some of the more video gamey business, especially where she's like, let's transmit the plans. And it's like, realign satellite dish. Like, this isn't a Marvel movie. We don't need business. This movie felt very video gamey to me. Matt Patch's uh, former guest yeah. was uh, talking about that with me as we left. He was like, this is like Star Wars Battlefront, the movie. It felt like watching someone play Battlefront. And I'm like, these are exquisitely rendered worlds. Mm-hmm. I like the conflict within And he's it. a good action director, Gareth. D- certainly. I mean, there are few 
He's a good scale, big scale director. Few people have a better grasp on how to create a sense of scale and terror from that than Gareth Edwards. I think the sequences are great. Star Wars is one of my favorite aesthetic sandboxes in the history of pop culture, Mm -hmm. you know? I think this film and does a really good job of uh, approximating the 70s visuals and modernizing yeah, them without good, feeling... Nice and dirty. Anachronistic. Nice you know? and dirty. And yeah, they get in the uh, the weird grainy like uh, CRT uh, video, you know, uh, the, look the low of like, res, the binoculars like, wire and frame yeah. shit behind them. Yeah, like I like all of that. Mm-hmm. And I like the archetypes, you know? Like even what? Darth Vader's... Fart like, Vader? Uh, I said it wrong, I know. Uh, but Darth Vader's buttons, right? Yeah. It's almost just like cute now for me. I'm just like, oh, that's it's cute. That's a nice little reminder. And I like that Darth Vader's uh, eye what lenses. What do the buttons do? Do they like serve coffee? I think it's a volume. It's just, he can't hear. He has to turn the volume. <laughs> and one's a poop button. Yeah, of course. Coffee, poop, volume. <laughs> Those are the three switches. Um, I uh, I like that his lenses were were red in this, which they are in the original Star Wars, yes. and then they were corrected to black after that. Anyway. Uh, I just, I emotionally, I felt like watching someone play a video game in this movie. And I was like, this looks like a great fucking game. I'd love to play it. I think that's a fair criticism. I disagree with you, but I, like, I get it. Yeah. that was. Uh, but m- I was emotionally involved. Yeah. Okay. We should also mention, too, that while this, uh, uh, it, the plot is unfolding on the planet, they're sort of cutting between to the uh, space uh, area yeah. just above the planet. Right, and there's a moment that, Ben, I know you flipped out over where we see a bunch of ships arrive at once from hyperspeed. Oh, that was so good. It was so well executed. It's like they just suddenly like pop in, and it's like, oh, all these guys were hyperspeeding at the same time, and they all just got to their destination. There's some cool, like, Imperial Star Destroyer on Star Destroyer battle. I mean, all the, I, like, I love the ship stuff. Right. Um, it's it, This is all well executed, but at this point, I, I just, I wasn't invested. You know, I was just watching this, That's and I was fair. like, like being in this world. I was invested. Great cast. I would be interested to hear, if you, you know, if you do see it again, what you make of I it mean, the second yeah, time. It's a Star Wars movie. I have to see it again. Sure. But um, Cassian Andor shoots Krennic, right? That, which I liked. Cassian yeah. Andor, you, you know, you, he, Krennic shoots him, and he falls down, and you think, oh, is he dead? But obviously you're thinking, like, he's probably not dead. Right. Although, I'll admit, you're thinking a little more maybe he is dead because you are, at this point, getting the sense, like, I don't think anyone's going to make it. Right, because Cushing's on the Death Star above, and he's getting ready to blow this whole thing up. Which Darth I also Darth Vader is chilling in a milk bath. Darth Vader has been, you know, yeah. they 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 like called his answering machine, and he's, you know, he's like he's he's getting dressed. You know, he's, he's on, on a Quiznos way. run with Porkins. Uh, and then what were you gonna say? And then well, uh, you know, so maybe he, but yeah, he he yeah. pops back up. He shoots Krennic. Krennic, you know, falls. That's it. You know, there's yeah. not like some gigantic climactic battle here. No. You know, it's and 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 also, and I don't think anyone's robbed of a hero moment or a villain moment. No, but I think what's interesting about this film, and it only can be done in a movie like this that's slotting in between two books on a crowded shelf, sure, is just that like the objective is kind of the character arc here. Like the yes. character arc of this movie is the plan. But I also think the objective is, like I said, like rebellion, right? Like right. it's like. You know, we're not just going to fold because it seems like you guys have all the cards, you know. Once all of them are like, serving. Sure, you built a Death Star. Fine. And all our heroes in this movie are serving a larger purpose, which is like we're almost definitely not going to make it out. Like I said, links in a chain, baby. Right. We just got to get this thing done. We just got to get this to the finish line. But I also love the idea that they have been so disruptive that they are forcing the Empire to use its Death Star on its own base. Mm-hmm. This is an Empire base. Yeah. With all their fucking archives and shit. Yeah. And 
I mean, you know, the, the nice little irony is Orson is done in by his invention. That shot of the Death Star rising over the planet is pretty cool. Yes. And then that shot of Orson, like, kind of staring it down as he knows what's about to happen. And, like, you know, and that's a nice bit of callousness from Tarkin where he's like, uh, looks like this is compromised. Blow the whole thing up. Here's another big sacrifice they make by blowing it up, okay? Sure. Originally, the clone troopers, a lot of different variations, colors, this and that. Uh-huh. Then they start, like, you know, they take on the new Stormtrooper design. They're like, whole new brand overhaul, Stormtrooper. Here's what it looks like. Here's the basic. And then I here are some where, extended models. I see where you're Death going. Death Troopers, Scarif Sand Troopers. Sand Troopers right, and brown. Right, stretches of blue and brown. All the other variation suits were seemingly on this one base. They all die. So that they wipe them out, and then Look, they're like, fuck, we just, now we got to just stick with the basic white. I know that. The entry-level model. I know that with these movies, like, there's always someone who's like, well, there's toys, right? There'll be some toys, right? Yeah. And so there's this half-hearted effort. What's it? Is it a V-wing or a U-wing or something? Some kind yeah, of yeah. And there's a tie striker. And then there's the tie striker. Yeah. You see like one of these on each side. Like there's right. like a little bit, but like not enough where it would be like. Then you'd be like, hey, where did the fucking the V-wings go? They were useful. It's a U-wing. Yeah. U-wing. Where, yeah. where, where, where are those U-wings at uh, when you're uh, attacking yeah. uh, the Death Star? I was like, bad news. They only made two of them. <laughs> That was the prototype, and if it went well, they were going to make more, and then they destroyed the prototype. But so, I, I mean, know. I understand, again, someone yeah. out there is just like, toys, though. Yeah. You know? We need new <laughs> Death ships. Death Trooper? New ships. <laughs> and the Death Troopers look very cool. I yeah, like they look them. Right. They're like the SS or whatever, yeah. right? Too bad there. they don't exist anymore. <laughs> RIP? RIP. It's probably good, actually. I think the Death Troopers are bad. Uh, Not like as, as people, yeah. Yeah, I think they're yeah. bad people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my um, merchandise spotlight. Sure. And, uh, you know, I like this final moment of um, uh, Jin and uh, Cassian. Oh, it's great. Deep impact. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing they can do. They just stare off into the horizon. He says, like, your father would have been proud of you. Yeah. Uh, they don't kiss. They kind of hold each other. I love right. the death, though, because it's like you don't see them get blown up. You just see the them light get enveloped by them. light. Yes. Very good. Uh, I agree. I like that a lot. And then you cut to a pretty, in my opinion, terrific, and in your opinion, not. I really disliked this. Right. Yeah. Uh, terrific scene of essentially like the last minutes, which is like they get the plants. They put it on the disk drive. They're, the guys with those dorky oh, white oh, hats. I liked running. all of this. this it was just great. literally just the last talk, moment. You didn't like Leia. And I like that they do kind of the... Um, the the setup of what what becomes the opening of Star Wars, where it's just like Darth Vader's could do this series of like breaking through doors with all the guys standing at the other end, right, with their guns yes, ready. They do, but yeah. it's even more nightmarish because the lights all go out, right, and then he ignites his lightsaber. He starts just tearing into pieces. I love how easy it is for him. Like he's like, he's yeah. like, oh yeah, all right, sure. There was a moment where I thought they were going to end the movie, and I like storytelling symmetry, right. There was a moment where I thought they were going to end the movie literally on with the rebel troopers the waiting of, yeah. with the gun, which I thought would have been really cool. Could have been cool, but I like all of this stuff though. Uh, and but the, you know, as Vader is just murdering these people, one of them like squeezes through a little crack in the door, mm-hmm. and like someone else grabs the thing. They get on a ship. The ship blasts out of the bigger ship. It's the Tantive Four. Love mm-hmm. that ship again. We see that that hot, hot white hallway. So white. And this gets the most important thing we have to discuss on oh, the show. Oh, Mr. Smith? Yeah. I mean, he's not on the Tantive, unfortunately. But we have both the Smith ship and Smiths. Yeah. And I'll say, this movie has great design, right? Yeah. But still, when we get to the interior of that ship, yeah. I'm like, you this are is the like, best looking <sighs> thing in the entire movie. 
you're like this. <sighs> David and I, it was like we had just both uncorked a bottle of Coca-Cola, mm-hmm. took a sip and went. Fizzing all green and blue. <sighs> Tanta 4. Tanta 4 blasts out of there. Yeah. Someone hands the disc over to Leia. See Leia from reverse. And then you see one mostly sort of still shot of her. You know, like her character doesn't move much, which is to me why the CGI looks better. They go, what is this? And she goes, it's hope. What are they giving us? And she says, it's hope. And right. then like literally like directed by Gareth Edwards. Like, they, you know, yeah, that's it. That's the last line. Uh, there, there's this idea of it being rushed. It's not, I think that it's very intentional. Like this, you know, like. No, I think it's the Finally, right... like the, you know, we've been watching like the fuse get lit and finally like it's sort of, you know. I think it's the right last line. I wouldn't have showed her face. I think the CGI is a lot less unforgiving on her than Tarkin because Again, Cushing move. has a bunch of wrinkles, so right, it's easier yes. to like texturize that. Whereas with her, they're trying to make it a very young person <laughs> with a very smooth face, mm-hmm. which makes it look more plasticky. Yeah. And I think they are trying to get a more complicated expression out of her, even though it's just for one moment. Sure, because all Tarkin has to do is just kind of like stand there and look disapprovingly. Like it's his neutral face. It's like his his resting Tarkin face, right? But this, it's like the sly little half smile. And I think it looks creepy and uncanny. I disagree. Yeah, it was cool. I think maybe it visually, yeah. We know, right, it's it's CGI. But it gave me goosebumps, right? And movies are supposed to make you feel things, and I felt good. The the ending itself gave me goosebumps. The line itself gave me goosebumps. Mm. I wish they had had her deliver it uh, with her back turned to the camera. Disagree. I liked it just fine. Okay. Let's talk about Jimmy Smith. And now, you've been waiting. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> passengers. No, Jimmy Smith. <laughs> uh, Jimmy Smith's in Passengers? No. Could have been, or though. <laughs> maybe. His spirit's in it. Uh, write in if you found. We hid one Jimmy Smith in Passengers, a la Where's Waldo, and if you find it, we'll send you a free blank check blanket. Yeah. So, Jimmy Smith, he first shows up at an earlier scene in at Yavin 4. Right. Where they're all just talking, and then suddenly he just kind of leans in, like, to the to the computer desktop. And they're like, Bale, do you have anything to say? And he's like, oh, no, no, sorry, I just want to listen. Don't, he's just like, go on, And please. the music kind of swells, and Griffin went, like, turned to me, was like, and then he, then they cut, and Griffin was like. like, a Christmas morning face. Like, I was so yeah. excited. <laughs> I was like the Nintendo 64 kid, and then it cut away, and you went, don't worry, don't worry. Yeah, and you back, were, you back. gave me a sort of, what the fuck? And I sort of yeah. gave you a, don't worry, there's more, there's yeah. more, there's more Smiths. He gets a Smiths yeah. moment. He gets a good scene. He gets solo card billing. He does. What was he, like, probably like ninth or 10th bill? I think like 8th. The billing, I believe, was Felicity Jones. Diego Luna. Diego Luna. Ben Mendelsohn. Ben Mendelsohn. Alan Tudyk. Donnie Yen. Oh, Donnie Yen, then Tudyk. Alan Tudyk. Then Mads Mikkelsen? No, 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 no. Mads Mikkelsen, then Alan Tudyk. Oh, interesting. I'm pretty sure Mads was fifth. Mads got pretty high billing. Yeah, yeah, he did. Uh, He was in Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange, though. Uh, Riz Ahmed. Yeah. With Jung Wen. He got the with. Yeah. And Forrest Whitaker. There's a Smits in there. But Smits is, I think, after Riz Ahmed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and was there a, a James Earl Jones as the voice of Darth Vader? And James Earl Jones, right. He gets a, yeah. Those are the people who get their own billing, though. And then, uh, and then probably some split cards for like Genevieve O'Reilly. And, yeah, she uh, got a split. I think she got a two or a three. Uh, there's, you know, there's some other people. In now, there. Griffin, do you remember uh, how we we got excited because we thought we had uh, cited a, a favorite character from the prequels? Oh my god! But it, it, the head was a little bit of a different design. There was a moment in a crowded scene, I think, when they're on the uh, the the planet where they have to do the the jail escape. Where I saw the most lovely, taut, slender, yep. protocol droid body, 
in sleek Shiny. silver. Sure. And I, I grabbed Ben's arm and I went, <laughs> no, no, no. You're going to fucking do it. You're going to fucking do it. And it pans up and it's got this weird oblong head. Hey, man. No TC-14. As we know, although you will not admit it, TC-14 perished when the uh, David, Trade Federation David, ship was blown we, up. Come on. Didn't don't. happen on screen. It's not canon. Don't I don't do care what the him. fuck you say. She's still alive. <laughs> so I know it. You need a literal shot of her going like, oh, as yeah. the ship blows up around her. And I need a doctor checking her pulse and going, <laughs> she's, a she's robot. gone. She's she, a robot. she doesn't have, she can breathe in space, so she doesn't have to breathe. Maybe she floated. And and made her way home. Yeah, true. Even uh, the K2SO even has a joke about that. She's alive, just like both my grandparents. They're just taking long naps in their graves. <laughs> oh, boy. I didn't see them die, so I just know they're so, in a box. They're um, just taking a nap in a box. That's fine. People do that. We're, we're almost done here. Yeah. But uh, let's do a performance review just to sort of boost. Oh, no. Should we do any more Smith's talk? Do the box office? <laughs> yeah. It seemed to open well on Thursday yeah, night. Yeah, I think it's going to make like 180. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to do well. Yeah. It's going to do more like... Big movie, well, not like Force Awakens, oh yeah. my God, colossal world-stopping event. Well, uh, Smith's is uh, really good in this. I like his scene. I he do, has too. One, essentially, the scene where Mon Mothra takes him to the center, she's like, you know, remember that Jedi? He's like, oh, yes. Yeah. He served me in the Clone Wars. And he's like, I know exactly where to hide that. Like, I know yeah, I know who to give this I'll to. I'll send for him. And she's like, you got to trust this person. He's like, I would trust her with my life. Yeah. He gives us sort of a... But also, he's going to Alderaan yes. uh, to sort of say, like, you know, and that's too bad. Yeah, he's like, I'll hand the things over, and then I got to take a quick vacation in Alderaan. We know what's going to happen on Alderaan. What happens in Alderaan? He gets blown up by the Death Star. Are you sure it's not just taking a nap in a grave? Might be. We'll see. <laughs> uh, so it is, I almost wish Momotham was like, nah, don't go to Alderaan. He's yeah. like, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> and then he wasn't dead. That'd be great if the movie established that everyone thought that Bail Organa was an Alderaan, and then right. once it blew up, he was like, oh, this is a chance to reinvent myself. And she was like, Just opened you know a what? bar. Don't on, go like, there. Right. And then in yeah. episode eight, he's like, you have just like incredibly old Smiths, or he's yeah. like, hey, guys. Yeah. I changed, uh, my, I changed my name to Jack Smoke. <laughs> <laughs> he's got like a gray suit. I own a topless place. Yeah. <laughs> An, an outer rim tapas play. Yeah, uh, but he's really good in this. Uh, he looks great. Um, it's really interesting because this is like the first time they've really embraced, uh, well, I mean, it's only the second movie in the Kathleen Kennedy thing, but they're really embracing the prequel stuff. Not fully, but like, you know, just saying like, we're not going to pretend that the right, guy- We're going to shy away from them. Yeah. You know? We and got this Jeremy is like, O'Reilly. We got Jimmy Smith. He's dressed the same way. We got the Kyber crystals and shit like that. Uh, it's all kind of, they're tying the room together. In, in that way, this movie feels more like a statement of intent than a movie in and of itself. It's just <laughs> like, get ready, Star Wars movies are going to start being different types of things now. So here's a template for what it could be. Here's some well-realized battles. Here's no, no, some, some answers to some questions so, previously. We're going to do like a Star Court movie. Yeah. Ooh, cool. I want to give Ben his little soapbox just because Ben loved the movie so much and we've been talking so much. Okay, I, go ahead, and ben. I've been saying a lot of negative things or just, you know, middling things. I'd love to let Ben argue his case for the movie. Okay, listeners, guys, this is what you, you know, want from a Star Wars movie, right? You want to sort of feel like excited for the universe, feel like a kid again, be immersed in it, right? And it never has looked better than it, I feel like this movie does. I love the the characters, uh, like just the designs. I love like getting lost in, and 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 yeah, the different planets. Um, I got excited. I I got sad. I didn't feel like I was bogged down by again the mythology, the like you know the silliness of Han Solo's son and all this other silly crap from Awakens. Like it was just sort of straightforward. 
here's some badass people that are going to do some badass shit. Well put, Ben. Uh, I, I will certainly see this movie a second time, and I, I hope I, I like it more next now, time. Now, yeah, I actually, uh, this leads me to, uh, you know, my classic segment, which is On the Record with Ben. <laughs> Your classic. Uh, yeah, it's a classic. Well, no, but wait, I thought On the Record had to be for when, like, it's for the future episode. Well, I'm making a prediction for Let's hear what he's going to say. Okay. I predict Griffin's going to see this movie probably not even just once, but twice. Okay. So at least by the third viewing, he's going to fucking be obsessed with this and completely change his mind about it. Interesting. Look, it's happened before. Oh, I mean, it's going to happen again. First time I saw Ratatouille, it was probably my second least favorite Pixar movie, and now it's it's in the top three for me. You know? That's crazy. Why was it your least favorite? I don't know. I saw it and I was like, that's fine. When I saw Ratatouille, I literally burst into tears, which yeah. I don't usually with Pixar movies. Tears was weird. I was I, I felt kind of disengaged from that movie, but cried at the moment when Anton Ego says he's the best chef in Paris because I like when people achieve their dreams. Mm-hmm. But then I saw it the second time and I was like, oh shit. And now literally every time I see the movie, it gets four times better than it was the previous time. Movies have grown on me, especially in franchises or with creators that I'm very connected to and their expectations tied to it. I don't think I was overloading this movie, but I don't know. It'll take a couple times for me to connect. Maybe it's just not my Star Wars movie. I'd like to note that I made a face. David made a really, he made like a face that made me look stupid. It was like a face. <laughs> I can't, I don't have to describe it other than Did it was like it a, cut you to the core? It cut me to the core. It cut straight to the bone. Ben? I like that there's no cute bullshit in this movie. Yeah, even the little guys are tough. Yeah, yeah they're they shooting tough. at stuff. It's not a cute movie. And you're like, yeah. It's not a cute movie. I'll, I'll admit when we were exiting, I mean, no, no, yeah, I'll admit it. You know, I'll say when we were exiting the press screening, it was Esther and Richard were like, they're all dead. <laughs> yeah. Like, and uh, after uh, some, uh, some of my coworkers of the Atlantic who have young children who like Star Wars, but are like six or seven, yeah, were like, can can he see Rogue One? And I was kind of like, man, yeah. you know, I know depends they depends wa- on the kid. I, you know, it depends on the kid. Like on the one hand, like yeah, because it's the new Star Wars, so they should probably see it because like yeah. I feel like everyone's seeing it. On the other hand, like, this is not really a movie for six-year-olds. Also, I don't know if they'll love it, you know? I don't know if they'll love it, although it does have, like, lasers in it. Also, it's cool. not for them. It's our movie. No, every, every movie's for everyone, Ben. No, it's not. Come on. Stop. This is what, this is, we're going to get another fucking Jar Jar if you think that way. Um, ben but, is right that this movie was made only for Ben. True, it was Ben's movie, uh, and it does say at the end of the movie, dedicated to Ben Hosley, a.k.a. the producer. Which was <laughs> weird, and they do all by nicknames, yeah. too. So of I guess they, they did. Wait, they asked. Kathy Kennedy loves that. this podcast. Yeah, Kathy emailed and was just like, what are his nicknames? Can you just write them out for me? Yeah. Um, They've got to add Dirt Bike Benny, though, because I yeah. like that one, and I, I feel like, you know, maybe when they release it physically, right? We can She'll update. add it in for Rogue, too. I, I will yeah. say, one of my coworkers said that his kid was pretty upset because he had recently watched Liam Neeson die in The Phantom Menace, and I was like... And if that got to him, <laughs> like, I don't know. You want to lose 10 friends at once? <laughs> All right. So. Performance review? You want to do? I mean, I just feel like we're going to pass everybody, right? You know what? Let's try it. The fans like it. Let's try it. Felicity Jones. I mean. You can give her a fail. I don't think the character works, but I, I don't want to blame that on her. You can blame her whatever on I think whoever. she's a good actress. She holds a frame well, you know? I think she's got an amazing emotional reserve. I heard some people complaining about her performance. I just, I think it's, her character feels the one that was most. Pass or fail? I give her a very, very soft fail. All right, I give her a pass. Tiebreaker? Of course, pass. Great. Uh, (laughs) That's why this will be fun. 
Diego Luna? Soft pass. But once again, I think it's the character. He ha- was limited in how much he could do with it. And just to be clear to our listeners, pass in this means good. <laughs> they get a passing grade. <laughs> or a fail. Yeah. We like to make things as confusing as possible. Diego Luna, pass. Alan Tudyk. Well, Ben. Oh, no, he only for the tiebreaker. You're disrespecting oh, okay. the rules of okay. the performance. Oh, right, right. I forgot. I'm sorry. Alan Tudyk. A pass. Definitely. Pass. Definite pass. Yeah. Donnie Yen. A hard pass. Hard pass. Again, that's why it's so weird, because that usually means that you're rejecting No, that's the joke. Uh, Zhang Wen, Wen Zhang, as Bayes and Albus. I mean, pass. I, you know, I'm tempted Huge to pass. give him a hard pass just because I like the character so much. It's not like it's like an amazing performance. I think it's, it's a great performance. Cool fucking guy, great gun, good jumpsuit. I think it's him. great. Ben Mendelsohn. Amazing name. A hard pass. Yes. Great Same. actor. One of our finest. Forrest Whitaker. Hard pass. Maybe my favorite performance in the movie. Interesting. Weird. Riz, me too, but I, I yeah. mean, not my favorite, but pass. Riz Ahmed. Hard pass. I read an interview with him where he said that he felt like they were asking about developing the character, and he was like, well, the character I ended up playing was different than what I originally was playing. Mm. It feels like the movie kind of forgets him at a certain point. It There's feels more like they're to that building character. up more of an yeah. arc that and doesn't they, really... they don't quite get there. Right, but I think he's an excellent actor. Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, I give him a huge pass. I really love him, though. He is one of those actors for me where he could just read. Yeah, that's know, the thing. I mean, I give him a soft box. pass, but it's just steady hand. It's a it's good a hands hand. behind the wheel. Yeah. Oh, who's this? This name's interesting to me. Jimmy Smith. The hardest of passes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, this is the. You forget, this is the fun part of the performance review is after. Okay. After the, right. the, uh, the rain is gone. Yeah. Alistair Petrie. He plays General Draven. He's the, the guy who tells. Uh, Cassian to kill Gale. You know, he's kind of, sort of like the boss. Yeah, fail. <laughs> you going to fail him? I'm going to fail him. Well, Al- Ali Petrie? What do you think, David? I liked him. Ben? He was good rebel. P- pass. Pass. Okay, fine. He was in, like, the night manager? Come on. Come on, the night manager? Okay, next, next. Genevieve O'Reilly. Pass. Pass. Yeah, I like her. Um, Ben Daniels. He plays General Merrick. Is that the Mon Calamari? You we know forgot what? to mention that it is. there's a jet black Mon Calamari in this film. Yeah, he's kind of like a totally different kind of Calamari guy. Right. Um, so uh, I, I'm on the record, Saw Gerrera is my favorite performance, right. Forrest Whitaker. This is my favorite character in the movie. Well, yeah. Well, do you have a holy trinity? Saw Gerrera, this guy, and Baze Malbus. All right. Maybe well, the no, little no, guy. little guy. Little guy. Yeah, I just don't know the little guy's name yet. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure we're going to learn little guy's name today. Yeah. Uh, Ian McElhenney, General Dodona, he's he's standing there, big beard. Fail. Wow. Beard wasn't big enough. Wow. <laughs> I'll give him a pass. <laughs> I give everyone a pass. Ben, you're right. I he got me with the beard. Fail. Hey. <laughs> James Earl Jones, voice of Darth Vader. Uh, uh, pass. Yeah, pass. Yeah. He's he's really got a grip on that one. We've talked about the story where he, for the first Star Wars movie, they were like. Uh, they needed someone to do voiceover because it was originally right. going to be David Prowse at the voice, and they right. went to him, and he was like had a gambling problem, and his right. career hadn't taken off, and they were like the films like we're, he was we're, an Oscar nominee, right? But he wasn't doing Great that well hope. Yeah. at mm-hmm. that moment, and he was kind of cash strapped, and the movie was kind of cash strapped. They were like, we don't have money left over. We could only pay you like four thousand dollars, uh-huh. or we can give you one percent of the movie. Uh huh. And he was like, I fucking I four thousand dollars in hand. James Earl Jones could have made like three hundred million. I mean, I think he's doing fine, but fine. he could have been. Yeah, but it's a fun what if. Valaine Kane, she plays Lysa, Lyra, Lyra Urso, Jin's mother. Oh, I liked her. Pass. Pass. Good at shooting a gun. Pass. Bo Gadson, 
She plays Baby Jin Erso. She also played Young Princess Margaret this year on The Crown. Is that the character? Is the character named Baby Jin Erso? No, Young Jin. Okay, because I was going to fail her if it was a baby because she's older than a baby. <laughs> True. If she was attempting to play a baby, I was going to give her a fail. As it is, I think she's a good scared child. Pass. <laughs> I agree. Daniel Mays, who is a Mike Lee veteran. He's in tons of Mike Lee movies. He's a, you know, he was in Tintin. As, oh. a, as a pirate. Oh. He's in stuff. He is the informant, uh, Tivik. Uh, uh, who's Tivik? The informant that uh, gets shot at the beginning of the movie. Um, okay. I mean, uh, yeah. fail. <laughs> I just realized we've been going for a while. Yeah, I think that's enough. Yeah, I think that's uh, the end of the in, podcast. In, in conclusion... Uh, the performance review went really well, and we're definitely going to keep it in the podcast. Great. Uh, <laughs> merchandise Spotlight, 90% of products you will buy in the next month have Star Wars on them. Merchandise Spotlight, you can buy literally anything you took a fancy to in this movie. You the like fucking, the wall? Yeah. <laughs> they got the wall. <laughs> yeah, but also, like, when my fucking bathroom was broken recently, and I had, like, construction workers coming by the other day, uh-huh. I found a bunch of empty Star Wars water bottles in my apartment. Okay. And it's not like these guys are Star Wars fans. They just went to a bodega and were like, what's the cheapest water you have? <laughs> and it's just got a fucking Star Wars label on it. That's good. Yeah, so have fun. All the merchandise in the world. I looked for anything weird and there's nothing. I couldn't find anything super interesting. Maybe I'll retcon this later. Okay. David's tired. I'm a little tired. I'm hungry. I'm glad I ate before. I had some peanut I need noodles. to eat now. Uh, thank you all for listening. Please Agreed. remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Yes, do do that. Uh, we'll be off for a couple weeks in terms of new episodes, but we'll uh, be serving you a couple best ofs of the Star Wars era. So Come you can January. get back into those. Those crazy episodes. Yeah, no, we're off for Christmas and New Year's, but then we'll be back, baby. Uh, we're going to have Best of We're going to have Split. Yeah. We're and going to have the Blanky Awards. Yeah. But, uh, and uh, Volume 2. And uh, uh, Pod Me If You Cast. Pod Me If You Cast. The films of Steven Spielberg in the DreamWorks era will be starting at the end of January. All right, guys. Thanks. That was fun. Rogue One. Good. Go see it. Yeah. Oh, and uh, let's do the necessary shout out. Uh, I'm going to mispronounce his name, but Dom Simicola. Simicola, Oh, yeah, absolutely. uh, Who writes for Pace Magazine and recently named us Humble Brag. Best movie podcast of the year. Best movie podcast of 2016. It's a great honor. Got choked up reading that. Maybe that's why I was less emotionally invested in Rogue One because I'd already shed all my tears of pride. Correct. Uh, But we're number one, baby. Um, And to think it all started with a Twitter uh, exchange. Watto, though. Okay. No Watto in this movie. All right. Let's go. No Watto. True. He's dead. Probably. David. I'm on. I haven't seen a body. <laughs> That's fair. He's alive. Okay. He's alive in it. Okay. Good. I gotta pee. He's hanging out with my grandpa. Yeah. Pampa. And he's... Grandma Rosie. Okay. okay. And as always, this podcast is, was, and forever shall be. Good. This has been a UCB Comedy production. Check out our other shows on the UCB Comedy Podcast Network.